Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. A couple of very nice headlines in the papers today. Horse on Uchtaron. Horse on Uchtaron. A picture on the front of the examiner with the, the president and a six-week-old pony. It's sure, S-H-O-R-E, is hot, says the Mirror today. Beaches and parks busy as May ends with temperature rising. Sun worshippers flock to beaches and parks as the glorious weather rolled into a third straight day across most of the country. And Met Aaron confirmed Sunday was the hottest day of the year so far with temperatures reaching 23.1 degrees in Newport Furnace. That's well named in County Mayo. Cork Crowd Concerns says the echo, the large gatherings may be super spreaders. Uh, a Cork doctor has voiced concerns after images emerged of crowds gathering in Cork at the weekend, warning that the big concern with large crowds is that they could become super spreader events. Dr. John Sheehan made the comments following reports of crowds gathering at a number of locations in the city and county over the weekend, uniformed guardi were dispatched to disperse crowds gathered at Kennedy Quay and along Grand Parade on Saturday with the assistance of the Public Order Unit. Twelve people were arrested in Cork on Saturday, meanwhile, for public order offences. A very frustrated public also says the echo. And uh, I know people are frustrated and they want to enjoy the good, uh, the good weather and their options for going out are very limited at the moment, but we're nearly there. That's the editorial comment there. And uh, much more on that in the papers today. Uh, People from Cork and beyond flocking to the city centre. So says the Echo as well. People are flocking to Cork for open-air congregations in the city centre and beyond. And they're coming in from far and wide. That's according to Garda sources uh, who say that uh, they have noticed that that cars are travelling from much further afield than Cork and its environs to enjoy and congregate uh, in the city. Uh, you know, there's never any issue with people gathering with families. There could be thousands of kids and parents in a park. Meanwhile, five miles away, there's adults mostly responsibly, not saying all of them are responsible, are responsibly having a beer. Yet uh, one seems to be immune from criticism and not a super spreader. Uh, and those uh, standing around having a beer are accused of uh, not just being young people, which is a terrible misnomer because they're all ages uh, from uh, 18 and upwards. But anyway, there are people in their 30s and 40s who are drinking sensibly, but illegally, because it's illegal to drink on the streets. Uh, So says the former Lord Mayor. It's a huge cohort of people around 15 to 16 years old, where the new thing is to go into the city centre from the suburbs for a night out, bringing alcohol with them. Some go around with coffee cups as if they're drinking uh, coffee or minerals, he added. Then there's the group from 18 to 25. He says none of these age groups have been vaccinated yet, and that's a danger. The more alcohol that's consumed, the more inhibitions will drop. Uh, Well, the government did say, think of outside uh, when you're thinking of this summer. And here's a related story also in the Echo. Lack of toilets in Cork City is absolutely deplorable. An advocate of the elderly in Cork has raised concerns about the lack of public toilets in the city centre. Paddy O'Brien said it was absolutely deplorable that nobody in this modern age should have to remain at home due to lack of toilets. Mr. O'Brien was contacted recently by people who said they would no longer go into the city centre due to the lack of toilet facilities. These same people have been confined to their own homes over the last 14 months. They've suffered and experienced woeful anxiety during this confinement. Mr. O'Brien said that those who contacted him had been refused by some local businesses to use their toilet facilities, despite having made purchases from them. These businesses willingly accept the money for their purchase, but refuse them blankly to use the toilet on supposed public health fears and those sort of grounds. Speaking from personal experience, he said that, regrettably, some garages 
were also refusing to allow paying customers to use their toilets. He added that many elderly were on medication and required the use of toilet facilities more frequently than others and could not queue at the few places in the city where there were toilets. If you're driving around Cork, you will get to know those friendly garages where toilets are available, I guess. And uh, you will get to know those where there are no toilet facilities available. And I venture the ones with friendly toilet facilities are making more money because they're getting more throughput and more footfall. Now, let's look at the sun today. There are fresh fears that the future of many pubs and restaurants uh, is in jeopardy as the hospitality industry is set to be hit with astronomical utility bill price hikes once they finally open. Publican Noel Anderson said the increased costs are going to hit the sector like a tsunami and added this could be the final nail in the coffin for a lot of businesses. Under the government's new reopening plans, restaurants and bars can resume outdoor services from June 7th while indoor service is set to return from July 5th. Cost management expert Ronan Linan told the Irish Sun the, uh, that contract commercial electricity and gas rates have jumped by between 30 and 50% when comparing 2020 to 2021. And this is going to hit the bars pretty hard. He said, I'm facing a bill of an extra 12,000 a year alone just for me uh, in my premises. I've been told that once my premises gets back up uh, to full operation, my gas and electricity will go up by approximately 992 euros a month, which is just unsustainable. Mask of the day says the Irish Mirror sports fans will have to wear face masks at all times during games at outdoor stadiums. It has emerged. Minister of State Jack Chambers confirmed the details will be set out in a code of conduct soon to be published and the rules will apply to all venues, including Croke Park and the Aviva Stadium. Uh, Leading immunologist Professor Paul Moynihan said uh, it won't do any harm if you look at it from a risk perspective. Uh, The risk there is very low. Cheering to be banned for Tokyo Olympics, says the Times UK. Uh, You can't cheer at the Olympics. Spectators at the Tokyo Olympics may have to show a negative virus test uh, result before being allowed to enter venues and could be ejected if they break rules banning eating, drinking and cheering. It won't be a very exciting Olympics, will it? A draft of proposals makes clear that if people are allowed to watch events live, it will be under strict rules that will quell the celebratory atmosphere. Killjoys. PUP to be phased out with first cut of €50 in September. Now, support for businesses will be extended as government sets out economic recovery plan. So the official spin on this today is that the PUP was meant to end at the end of June. So uh, the official positive spin from the government is that, no, no, we're going to be announcing the positive extension of the PUP. Um, But the devil is in the detail, really. The first cut of €50 across all four levels of the PUP will be announced today to happen in September. So the pandemic unemployment payment is going to be phased out. Now, to be fair, it's a, it's a payment that didn't exist before the pandemic. But there are certain sectors of society, I think, that are depending on this more than others. All very well if your job is opening up. All very well if the premises in which you work uh, is on a phased basis of opening up and you're going to get your job back. But there are sectors of society that will depend on this as much in September when they don't have the work uh, as they... Uh, as they have now. So I'm not sure if there should be separate application maybe for people like, and once again, I'm harping on about the live music industry. They've taken the brunt of this. And these guys have to make it in the summer. They won't have a summer. 
How are they going to live through the winter with reduced PUP payments? Just a point. One billion euro plan to spark rapid recovery, says the examiner's front page today. Half of the budget's going to go on green projects such as public transport. Even more, and Michelle McGlynn reporting the examiner that a one billion euro economic recovery plan is set to be unveiled today by the government in an effort to get hundreds of thousands of people back to work. The plan, that's the positive spin I told you about. The plan will set an ambitious target of having 2.5 million people in employment by 2023, higher than the pre-pandemic levels of employment, but will also see the winding down of the PUP for those who are out of work due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Sign-ups for ages 40 to 44 tomorrow. The star has the um, Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, on the front page there. People uh, aged 40 to 44 years old can register to be vaccinated this week. Dahi's not too happy. The Rose of Tralee Festival is cancelled once again. And we're plastic paddies uh, at this stage. We were called that before, but now we really are plastic paddies because there's been a huge rise in card spending. The amount of credit and debit card spending jumped by 47% uh, last year. Uh, in the last year, new figures have shown the spike amounted to an annual increase of $2 billion, which was recorded in April this year. We are inexorably moving towards a cashless society, of course, and uh, there's been health concerns and transmission of the disease concerns and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, leaving people take very small purchases on plastic, a euro, 150, 250 for a coffee or whatever. Uh, please use your plastic wherever possible. And I think it's helped to curb the spread of the virus, but we are inexorably moving towards being plastic paddies according to the papers today. You can call us on 1850104106. You can text 0868104106 or email neil at redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show. And a very good morning. This is Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prenderville. Kieran O'Donovan's on line one. Good morning, Kieran. Good morning, Mick. How are you getting on? Very good. Gatto vans. We love them, don't we? We do. Gatto, also known as Go Safe Vans. Known as what? They're also known as Go Safe Vans. That's their official name as far as I know. Uh, now, they're parked illegally, and I have done a solid... Nobody will take responsibility from... They're not, they don't come under the RSCRM, and the Gardaí don't seem to take responsibility from, responsibility from either. But I spoke to... Listen to this now, this will put you thinking. spoke to Anglesey Street this morning and told them... And now, you've probably seen the pictures around the place of them parked blatantly illegal. I'd say even some of them are dangerously packed because where they're adjacent to cross roads and whatever. And yeah, I'm told by the Gardaí in Anglesey Street, even though they're packed illegal, they can still summons for speeding. Now, they can also be summoned themselves for being packed illegal and have been, I'm told. So that's what we're the kind of rubbish we're dealing with now in this year. Like, and the point being, if you get a summons there for speeding, Nobody's going to take it on. You have to go to court and probably have your points doubled if you do that. So, like, I don't think this makes any sense, you know, the way they're carrying on. And why, like, what I would say to people if they see me legally parked now is just ring the gears and get a move because they, they can be and they can be summoned where they are parked illegal. Okay, do you think the guards would actually summons? Or well, they, well, they told me they did and have, so you can get on to yourself in Angle Street. That was that's what I was told this morning now. Okay. But I was also told that they, even though they are passed illegal, they can still catch you for speeding. It's my impression, maybe I'm wrong, that the Gatso vans need to park between signs which say speed vans are in operation and, and under which planning permission had to be applied for. Well, so, did you see... Can they just park see, anywhere? Well, did you see the pictures that I sent in? I did indeed. Yeah, well, you see the one under the hatch box there, like that's that. 
there's a, a road coming out from behind the, the station there, right? If a car missile turns out there too fast and you're coming up the road, you're going to blow him into the tide. That's dangerous parking, not illegal parking. Yeah, there's one uh, I also saw that you sent in where, where, where the Gatso van is blocking an entrance. Uh, it's, it's blocking a turn-off into the road uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. and blocking visibility. Yeah, that's commonplace. And you see where they were parking, private parking there by the Stew Bridge, taking up three bays. I have a heap more. They all say people send them to me because they know the interest they have in it. Ballyvory outside the church, they parked across the bays there as well. And God only knows how many of them. I just sent the ones that I have from Cork. But they're all packed in gateways and corners across from double coming into Buttevant there. There's a, a turn coming in, there's a gate on the corner, double white line. Pack there, you can't pack opposite a double white line, and it's dangerous again. If somebody stops suddenly and you have to go to the inside, you can't go to the outside. He's killed, stone dead. Wow. That's dangerous packing, not illegal packing, I reckon. Uh, let, let me put to you the rhetorical question. If somebody is breaking the law, if you would get a parking ticket from the guards for parking where the Gats events park, then you're breaking the law. And rightfully, yeah. you're, you're going to be summoned. Yet somebody else can break the law while trying to enforce the law. Well, that's, that's the question I put to them, and that's what I was told, that uh, you can be legally summoned by them, even though they are illegally there. Which wow. makes no sense whatsoever to me. No, I think that could be challenged. But anyway, who's going to challenge it? If you're going to end up with double points and what have you, you know, so that's the kind of system we we're dealing with. Yeah, I, I wonder how many of the uh, of the summonses are actually challenged, because I, I, there's yeah, a big difference between getting three yeah. points and getting six points. I, I haven't, but the media might be able to do this now is go for freedom of information and see how many of their drivers are after getting fines for parking illegally. Yeah, they're, they're the most universally um, reviled <laughs> vehicles in, in the country. There's a, there's a friend of mine had to drop one from Carlo to Dublin, okay, uh, because it was being serviced or whatever had to be done was being done in Carlo and he was driving for the garage and uh, and had to drive one and pulled in for a cup of coffee. The absolute abuse he got. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, because yeah. essentially you never see a human being uh, unless you catch one parking you you never see a human being around yeah. them because I no, imagine I the abuse you get fair is fair if they're parked legally I have no problem with that but we are I drive for a living and my hobby is driving so you know I have a motor home so I, I, I see him quite a lot and like I don't mind being caught if I'm legally caught but if you're parked illegally I can't see, see the logic in that and it just really yeah me that yeah. can be done. You drive professionally. What, what do you drive? Trucks or? I, 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 I yeah. All right. I'm told you're also the chairman of the Phoenix Motorhome Group. What's that? Uh, vice chairman. We're a motorhome club there, and we we we. I tell you, what's coming down the line with motorhomes now. There's so many of them around this year. Where where law needs to be enforced here now as well. Motorhomes. There's people buying them, never had them before, and there's people floating the law, parking on footsteps, putting out awnings in, in, in normal villages and things, and it's given us all a bad name, and we are going to pay for it down the line. Now, there's 14,000 registered campers, uh, tax campers in the country, right? Um, there's only about 3,000 spaces in campsites and what have you. So you can see the problem there, and the caravans are going to take up all them spaces. So all the campers are going to be around the country, and um, there is not enough parking from either legally. Do you know what I mean? There's height barriers all over the place. There are beaches where cars, and we're the same vehicle category as a car. So you can park anywhere a car can park legally. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I, I, believe, I believe you can't buy a motorhome in this country for love nor money, not yeah, rent one. Love or anywhere, I'm, I just people ask me, I'm priced, even in Germany, they're just gone mad. The price from here are gone mad. And what around, what's left around on sale here and there are scams or heaps of rubbish. Right. Uh, so well, that's kind of unfair now to those selling campers here, isn't it? 
No, I know, I know, well, not new ones, but like a new camper could set you back 120 or 30,000 pounds. Who don't have that kind of money? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, it, it is a way to get out and see the country without having to pay, you know, what are yeah, you, you in, are increasingly um, expensive um, it, it, accommodation it fees. It's like a car. The first one you buy is the dearest. After when you're moving up in time, and me sixth one, like you, you're paying any more than you would change a car. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a hobby. It's like a man on a boat, like a man fishing. It's a hobby as much as a way of life. And you are also self-isolating, you know what I mean? You have your own pilot, especially in the pandemic now, and you need to stay in your own. Most of the elderly people who like a nice place area to, to park and whatever, and that's what you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, a couple of texts coming in. The guards can speed while in the line of duty. They can break the lights, but uh, surely uh, the guards cannot and should not be allowed to take and make phone calls while driving. Yeah. Maybe they can yeah. in the line of duty, can they? They can, I think, but these are private. The, the, the Gorsi fans are a private company. So, like, the girls can, I presume, park with their life if they, uh, where they like when they're operating speeding, and they have some of their own vents as well, their own Mark White vents. But um, the Go Safe are uh, a private company, and they, the law should apply to them. Well, they told me they do, and that they do that they do some of them. But I'd like somebody to find that who can go to the Freedom of Information and find that out me, have any of them actually got points of being summoned. But that's what I've been told by Anglesey Street anyway. Yeah, because I, I was aware of, I won't mention the location, but I was aware of a Gatso van a couple of years back that was parked on the wrong side of the signage. So let's say there was a signage in point A and point B. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Gatso van didn't park in between A and B, but parked outside of A. And all of yeah. the all of the summonses apparently had to be quashed in court. So I'm yeah. not sure if they can park willy-nilly or do they have to have those signs? Yeah, well, the girls told me like that they can, they, 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 they can, you can be someone so if they're outside it, I presume they can, if they can, if they can summon you when they're illegally packed, if they're outside them, I presume the same applies. But like to be like, nice to get clarity from someone, maybe to get out the press office, might speak to the media about it. Yeah. There's a great story came out of Australia a couple of years back as well about the youngflas who snuck up to the back of the Gatso van and very quietly removed the number plate and put it on the front of their car. And broke the speed it. limit on several occasions, passing yeah, a, a number yeah, of, yeah. of speed vans, which which then all all caused summons <laughs> to that gas van itself. Yeah, yeah. How did that? How did that been done here? Nobody could be in urban me too, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, back to motorhomes. I I am also aware of of a friend of mine who was uh, driving through Castle Martyr, uh, and not for the first time got a knock on the window asking him to sell the camper van. Yeah, 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 that can happen, can happen. Listen, I've about 20 people that to me to know, because we're involved in it, you know, is there any sort of here, there, and what have you, and they're, they're just not, like, and even even, even, the, even the, 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 the the people selling them, the new vans are scarce, they can't get them in, because of the pandemic, the, the, the production has been cut in half, I think, in Europe, so new vans are there, which means people aren't selling, and second-hand vans aren't there, which means they've gone through the roof everywhere. But anyone that's looking to buy, I tell them, look, wait 18 months, and when people are going back abroad again, there'll be a lot of ends on the market. That's my thinking on it, anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, I pass a place now and again in Letterkenny and Donegal. Uh, it must, uh, there must be a thousand camper vans inside. Uh, yeah, the place. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, look, look, are they all sold out now? Most of us all you. Look, you get them. like cars. People want a particular type. If you want a particular type, if you're after two or three vans, you can't get it. Do you know what I sure. mean? Like before, you would have your choice. You want the two belts, you want the family one. You know, they're like here. Depends yeah. on what you want, how much money you have to spend that time you were. But there's very little in, in, in any realm there now. Do you know what I mean? 
Okay, so we'll leave uh, the rhetorical question hanging there, uh, Kieran. Should the Gatso vans be able to legally summons you while they're breaking the law themselves? Well, they are, they are allowed, and I'm just wondering what's, what's the story. You know, they're just constitutionally right. That would be a question for uh, now. Anyway. Okay, thanks a million. Thanks, Nick. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. And if you want to get in touch, one eight five zero one zero four one zero six is our phone line, and uh, our text is oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Back in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red FM. And a very good morning to you. Let's go back to our phone lines and to line two and Sinead Nathan. Hi, Sinead. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, reading your story, if I can be so kind, your life has become a little stressed and complicated. A little bit. Okay. Just a little bit. You moved back to Ireland with your Singaporean husband and a toddler. So tell me first off about the relocation. So I guess I've been away for over nine years. um, And we kind of always said when we had a child, we'd bring him up in Ireland because it's what I went through and it's what we want for him, the freedom and the space. So we made the leap this year. Um, It was planned for last year, but... Obviously, things didn't go through. So we arrived back in March. um, And needless to say, things haven't really gone to plan for us. Um, My child was actually hospitalized there um, in March for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, kind of everything seemed to work against us. Um, A lot of the problems seem to come from accessing the Irish organizations and systems. I Why is that? Because they're not set up properly for for new people or for online access? For both. Um, for queries is... So a bit of background is my husband had hope to drive. Um, we were originally told that he could actually drive on his Singapore license. He's got a full license. He's been driving for over 11 years in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And we were told that he could drive on his Singapore license for one year. But the Singapore license isn't recognised in Ireland to convert it. So he has to go through the process of becoming a learner driver and do the theory test, do the 12 lessons, redo the test, like many others who come back into the country. Um, But where we ran into issues was we had some queries about the licence and we rang the National Driving Licence Centre and we were on hold for 45 minutes at a time. Then they answer the phone, but nobody speaks to us. You can hear them on the phone. You can hear them breathing. They don't speak. And then after three minutes, they hang up on you. Um, So we emailed them and three weeks, no response. And then they emailed us last weekend to say that they closed our query because it had not been addressed. So how are we supposed to get any information? Um, So we actually ended up having to contact the Singapore embassy in Ireland to get information because the Irish, we couldn't get through to anyone in Ireland who could give us information. Uh, we tried the Road Safety Authority. We were trying everyone. We couldn't get any information. So we decided to try and just go ahead and just book. First, I tried to insure him um, on his Singapore license. When I was getting my own insurance, I was told it was possible, but it was going to add an extra 2,000 oh. euros onto my insurance and I would lose all my no claims, everything for adding him. Um, which you can imagine 2000 is a nice skinny in our, our pockets with a young family. So when I contacted them again and we decided since he can't get 
any appointments for theory tests or get any information, we'd just go ahead and add him. Um, and my insurance company told me, no, he can't be added now. So we're kind of stuck in limbo that we're trying to book a theory test. We're trying to get him a learning permit so he can at least start driving here. Uh-huh. But there's no test. There's no slots for a theory test. Even though they've opened online, there's no slots. There's no information when slots will open. Yeah, they're beefing up the uh, the staff in the in the theory testing, aren't they? It's supposed to be, but there's no information given about when they're actually going to open slots. When when we can expect to try and book a slot? Uh-huh. Um, again, I've kind of I've sent emails asking when can we expect slots to be open and uh, under whose remit is, is under whose remit is this Department of Transport? Um, we so for the booking of the theory test is actually through theorytest.ie, but I have I've tried to e- reach out to the National Driving Centre, Road Safety Authority, the theory test um, website themselves, just to find information about when we can expect it because. We're at a standstill now. My husband can't actually look for full-time work here because he can't drive. He, we live in West Cork. We're in the middle of nowhere. If you don't have a car and you don't drive, you can't do anything. Really, yeah. yeah. And there's no other um, work he could do without... I suppose it, it really has to drive to work. He has to drive to work. And I'm actually starting work next week myself. And our problem is, because of our child being in hospital for March... He still has a lot of appointments, so he's got weekly follow-ups, he's got therapy appointments, and he needs to start crash, which my husband needs to be able to bring him to because I'm going to be commuting from West Cork up to Cork. So you necessarily have to work to put food on the table, uh, and the other machinations of a family, if you like, the shopping and the deliveries and the collections and the sport and the crash or whatever you're going to be doing with the toddler. Um, yeah. You know, play so dates when they're allowed, that kind of thing. Is going to necessitate transport, and he can't, even though he's a fully qualified driver elsewhere, he can't get through the system here in Ireland of the welcomes. And, like, the Singapore, in Singapore, they drive the same side of the road, it's a right-hand drive car, everything is the exact same, and he's been driving for 11 years with no claims, but none of that is accounted for. Um, and I guess it's just frustration of not knowing when we can do anything, that it's, we're at our wits' end, and my husband is actually considering should he actually leave Ireland and go back to Singapore in order to be able to work because eventually we want to get a house. We want to settle ourselves in Ireland, but if he can't work, it makes life very difficult for us. It would kind of put you off the Irish living dream. That's, that's the reason you left Singapore to come back, to give some space and room to grow to your child, is it? Yeah, we came back because Ireland always seemed like the the Green Isle, it was the better option. Um, but it's all kind of been tarnished now for us with the experience we had. We had a lot of other issues trying to set up bank accounts and all of that. But after two months, we've managed to kind of get sorted with that. But that was also quite frustrating. But the worst thing is the not being able to get him on the road. So the transport side of our family unit is dependent on me now, which when I start work, I can't provide because I won't be at home during the day. And um, your, your employer obviously won't let you in a new exactly. job head off what employer is whenever you want. Leave every, every day of the week or every week to go to appointments. And is there any political favour that could be called in or a representation to your local TG to say, look, even on compassionate grounds, medical grounds, then this driving I test do, needs to be facilitated. We've been trying and we've been ringing and nobody's talking to us, so I don't know 
what routes they can take to actually get to talk to somebody. Mm. Do you know when you pass your test, you've got to go to an NDLS, National Driving Licence Centre or something, to get the actual licence. Um, yeah. And when my son passed his test, do you know the nearest one we could get within two weeks? And we had to drive to it to, to, to actually get it within two weeks. Castle Bar. <laughs> County Mayo. That's, that's telling the whole thing. I actually know someone who was saying recently the only place that their relative can get a theory test is in Athlone. So they have to travel two or three hours to go to Athlone for a theory test. Yeah, I wonder if this is under Eamon Ryan's remit, which wouldn't fill me with hope if it is, but... To be honest, I, I'll say straight out, I actually don't know any information on that. I'm just kind of from our personal experience of what we're going through at the moment, and I'm sure we're not the only ones. I'm sure there's hundreds and thousands even of other people who are stuck in limbo like we are at the moment, mm-hmm. that there's no answers coming when you can start driving. And Ireland, most of Ireland is rural. Most people do need some form of transport to get about. And it's very isolating when you can't move and you can't get out of the house. You can't look for work. You can't do anything. And do you know the way we have restrictions because of public health advice at the moment? Do you think the the driving setup is so difficult to navigate because of maybe some perceived notion that we have to do make it very, very hard to make the roads safer? I don't think so. I think it's just a lack of proper technology and infrastructure. Every other country in the world has managed to cope with the pandemic, has managed to get their systems online. How has it taken one year of lockdown for the Irish system to finally decide that, you know what, maybe we should be online? Like, keeping up with modern technology and up with modern ages, surely theory tests online should have been an option years ago. So how has it only taken them till now and it's taken them over a year of lockdown and people not being able to get a foot in the door, so to speak, for driving before they finally decided they can set it up? And as we're, as we're coming out of lockdown and restrictions are being eased now, I, and I know there's going to be a huge backlog, and, and I know they very, very fairly uh, gave priority to frontline workers uh, who needed to drive you know, in order to keep the pandemic at bay, if you like. Uh, yeah. and, and that's fair enough. Uh, but that, now there's an absolute massive overhang of, of, of test inquiries and theory test inquiries. Uh, and I don't know how long it's going to take for that backlog to clear years, probably. And But the, if they got online and they at least had the theory test on, it would clear off some of it. People can sit in their own home. They're not going into contact with others. They're, you can fly through it if people are sitting at home and doing it on their own space. Sure. Instead of waiting for people to queue up to go into centres and sit down and maybe only three or four at a time go through. Yeah. It uh, makes a lot more sense to have it online. And at least if people can get that, they can go out with their family or whoever's with them at home and start get a foot in, start learning before the lessons open up. Yeah, well, you've left the cleanest city in the world in a very cosmopolitan and, and forward-thinking country. Uh, and you've come back to Ireland for the, you know, the green dream, if you like. How frustrating is it now? You know... Is the dream falling apart or will you just throw your hat at it and say, to hell with this, let's go back to where we were? It is actually reaching that point. Like I said, my husband is considering, does he actually not even want to leave? Does he have to leave to go back in order to be able to work? Because and, and, all, and, all because, uh, and all because of accessibility to a driving license through the system. That's it's, Yeah, it's accessibility to services even if he could just get that theory test done or if there was an allowance that people could get their learning permit 
and complete the theory test at a later date when, when it's available again. Or even have a note from a, a doctor or a, or a specialist or a consultant to say this child needs transport. This parent needs a license. Uh, and I don't think anybody would, would mind uh, somebody advancing up the queue for those reasons, you know. But if any of our listeners have any uh, experience in this regard or any recommendations as to what uh, we can do here for Sinead, uh, then please get in touch on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. But thanks a million. Well, uh, keep in touch, Sinead, will you? We wish you all the best. Yeah. Thanks a million, Mick. Thanks, thanks. for the call. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, that must be hugely frustrating. We're joined on the uh, next phone call by the former Lord Mayor, Dr. John Sheehan. Hi, Dr. John. Good morning, morning, Mick. Uh, now, you're in Blackpool Bridge Surgery, and uh, you've made the papers about the crowds gathering in Cork and Dublin over the weekend, uh, you know, saying that they'll cause super spreader events and that we have to be a little cautious. Can you elaborate on your feelings? Yeah, I thought, and I, like, I have to say, like, for young people, they've been really fantastic, and I can understand the need to kind of, um, you know, live a little. Um, but we're nearly there. You know, another few weeks, you know, things start are opening up. Next week, outdoor dining is opening up. You know, there'll be further openings of things in in the next few weeks. Um, and that really will make a difference in terms of people gathering in huge numbers. The, my concern is that when people are outside, and, and that's the right thing to do, and sitting out and everything is fine, after a few drinks, all of everyone, you know, finds that their guard goes down and people start congregating in bigger groups and start moving from one group to another. And that's really where the fear is that, the you know, these things will start spreading particularly now when we see the, the Indian variant um, that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's coming in, in in the UK and, you know, will probably come in Ireland. And to put it in context, Nick, it, you know, the UK variant spreads 2, 4, 8, 16. The Indian variant spreads 3, 9, 27, 81. So that's the speed at which it spreads compared to the UK, you know, variant. So that's so much faster. And we're nearly there. That's the other thing. The vaccination program is really rolling out well, there's 250, 300,000 people being vaccinated per week and the restrictions are slowly opening. So then the hope would be that you wouldn't have these huge congregations as we saw in Dublin, Cork and other areas that people will, you know, have more facilities such as restaurants and other places where they will be able to go and that will take away some of the frustration. But if I could give one message today, it would be to say we're nearly there you know, another couple of weeks will make a big, big difference and, you know, um, keep going because you can't see sort of an end in sight. Yeah, OK. The government is saying think outside uh, when you're thinking of summer and then people go outside and, and they're criticised. Well, I have a text I'll, I'll find for later on of, of a couple who are just sitting down, not even drinking uh, on Kennedy Key, sitting away from everybody else. We're told to move on by the guards. Absolutely breaking no law or doing any disservice to the state. Uh, two people sitting down wearing masks uh, and having a chat, not even drinking, and were asked to move on. And I guess that's that's going to happen when the guards have to move on. They have to move people on. They move everybody on. Yeah, and I think that 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 goes to the issue of um, our lack of you know open spaces and parks um, that we have in the city. And we, as a city council, need to look at that at how we're going to use our open spaces better so that people can go out. That there is enough places to go. Because as someone said to me, a younger person said to me. Well, where are we expected to go? There is nowhere for us to go at the moment other than parks. And that's a very reasonable, you know, um, answer. And then when we don't have that many open spaces, 
people congregating in the available ones, Dublin being an extreme example. So we need to look at how we're opening our spaces um, and how we're using our spaces more. Everyone who's gone to Ballincollig Park or the Marina or anywhere else over the last few months has seen how crowded they have become. And we need more open spaces, um, you know, for our citizens of our city. So that's something I think we really need to look at. Uh, really need to look at. Yeah, anyone who picks up uh, today's Echo, the uh, Echo of Tuesday, June 1st, will see a picture in there by Dan Linehan. And it really, really shows a crowded, packed Kennedy Key. Uh, and when you think of all that we've gone through, uh, it, it would seem that uh, this mostly non-inoculated, non-vaccinated cohort uh, are maybe pushing it just a little bit. And that's the concern, particularly when we're, you know, another couple of weeks will make a difference because more things will be opening. So that will allow more people to go to different things and you won't have this need to congregate in one or two big areas of the city. So that's really the message to, you know, to, to get home. Um, but there is, you know, there's the pent-up frustration there. The sun was shining. It's a rare enough event in Ireland. Uh, you know, people want to um, relax. Um, but just to say whole form, there's only another couple of weeks really and it, things will open up and that will make a big difference. Yeah, but is, is it the young people drinking cohort is, is getting unfairly targeted here? I passed Carrigaline um, Play Park or Playground, if you like, on, on the hottest day of the year on Sunday. Uh, and looking at the picture from Dan Linehan, okay, I admit it wasn't that packed in the park, but there were certainly 500 people there. Um, families and children and all that kind of thing. And they never get criticised for you know, for excessive gathering. But once there's alcohol involved, uh, is that fair to say? I, I really think it is, because I think young people are, they're the, statistically, they're, they're the lowest risk from COVID, but they're the people who've been impacted the most in terms of their lives, in terms of, you know, what all, all their activities and sports and gatherings and things like that. And they have been exceptional over the last two years. So I think they're, they are an easy target all of us have a responsibility and the rules apply to all of us, whether, you know, you're going down to the, you know, the, the Blackrock Pier and sometimes that's very crowded with, you know, with, with people. And um, all of us have a responsibility, um, you know, to follow the guidelines. And sometimes it's easy to single out young people. I suppose the concern is like anything, when alcohol is put in the mix, the guards that are normally there for, you know, for, for everyone tend to slip and that's, I suppose, increases the risk. And that's really why you see things, you know, the restrictions with pubs and things like that. So if, if people are drinking, they tend to, you know, I suppose, hug people more, be, you know, let their guard down, and, and that's the concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I suppose from next Monday, and I would, I would hope that from tomorrow we can, uh, when we're talking about COVID, uh, put a much more positive spin on things. Because things, hotels from tomorrow are going to be opening outside service coming from next Monday, of course. And from next Monday, many people who've been missing that pint and the chat uh, with their buddies can sit at a table outside, have the pint, have the chat, and go home and think, you know something? Yeah, I'm okay now again. Yeah, and I think that'll make a big difference. You know, that ability just to be able to meet other people, to sit out in the sunshine, you know, enjoy a meal or a drink, um, and just have that sense of community, I think, will be really, really important. You know, so people have been missing that over the last years, whether it's sporting events, social social gatherings, weddings, christenings, all of those events. Um, so, there, you know, there's that pent-up um, demand from all of us, you know, to socialise and to meet people. Um, but just to say, do it in a safe place, we're nearly there, and I think next week will make a difference. And, of course, everybody who's giving and offering the outside service 
will offer a very safe environment as well. And this will assimilate some of the crowds we're seeing gathering, drinking on the quays and other public areas. It will. It really will take the pressure off because then people will have a choice where to go. At the moment, your choices are quite limited. You know, you, you, you go for a walk, you might go to the beach, which is lovely, or you go to a park. You know, come next week, those choices will be multiple. So you could go for, you know, meet someone for a pint. You could sit outdoors. You can go to a hotel, you know, or you can go to the parks and things. And even we've seen the, you know, when when we could only go five kilometres within our, you know, our area, the parks were really, really jammed. So then suddenly when you could go to the beach and things like that, the parks became, you know, a little less crowded because Mm -hmm. people were able to spread out. And I think you're going to see the same thing next week. Yeah, so hopefully we're not one scorcher of a weekend away from a fourth wave. Uh, and maybe we are one rainy weekend away from getting out of this mess. I think that pretty much sums it up, and I think the forecast for this weekend, unfortunately, isn't going to be as kind as last weekend, so that'll probably have a um, a calming effect on all of yeah, us. Yeah, maybe not the weekend. worst thing, I suppose, for our longer outlook. Uh, Dr. Maybe John not. Sheehan of Blackpool Bridge Surgery, thanks very much, as always, for joining us on thanks the programme. Thanks. Thank Back you. in a moment. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And a very good morning at 7 minutes to 10. Linus, good morning to you. Hello, mate. How are we doing? I'm good, and you? I'm not the best. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just a quick one, you know. Um, everybody, you know, newspapers, radio stations, TVs, and everything, uh, uh, giving very hard time now to people, you know, being on the streets and uh, having few drinks and uh, getting together and all this. But like, it's it's not only them. Every peop- every person I know, like you know, people going to the parks. Uh, myself went with family to uh, Fort Zoo on Sunday. And the families everywhere, people everywhere, they're taking photos of animals and uh, no distancing, no nothing. I'm not giving out. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of anything, you know, and uh, I'm actually happy to see people getting together, you know. Uh, but, you know, like, like, so then across the board, um, government should just not let anyone out if they don't want people to go out, you know. Yeah, they, 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 they've told know. people think outside. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what a lot of people forget is that you, you should still sanitize tables and implements and that kind of thing after your use. Uh, and I think, I do think, it, you know, obviously inhibitions drop when, uh, when alcohol is involved, but, uh, there's never any policing or criticizing of other groups and cohorts that gather. It's always seems to be critical around alcohol. I know, yeah, but, but this, um, you know, like, um, I don't understand how, uh, actually government would think if we sell takeaway pints in the city centre what people gonna come in take two pints or four pints and go to the back garden and uh, consume them no of course they're gonna go on the dock and they're gonna drink or on the bench or in the park somewhere or something you know like it's like it's impossible it's, it's actually impossible to police that if, if you sell takeaway pints I'm not saying that they should be stopped I, I think uh, more places should start selling takeaway points and uh, let's uh, do, uh, even from today, outdoor dining, you know, and uh, drinking and all this. And then would be policed a bit more because staff and uh, owners and everything off the premises would policing that. And mm-hmm. But now, you know, like, it's imp- as I'm saying, it's impossible to think that people actually will take those points and go to the house. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone's going to get a takeaway point and, and, and you know, get it to their house and, and enjoy it as much as they would, in, as they would in the open air even. 
Uh, and I think the big issue with, with the likes of Kennedy Key is that it's so popular. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's now become a sort of a social day out uh, and lots of people travel uh, quite a distance to get to get there and enjoy the facilities that are on offer from the takeaway bars there. Uh, and I think maybe just where the guards get concerned is, is there's just too many people. I know it's too many people, but at the same time, uh, they all outdoor, you know. So, like, people have to start to live at some point. And uh, people were locked in, like, you know, for, what, 15 months or so? And uh, eventually we got uh, three nice days uh, with a bit of sun and everything. Uh, everybody wanted to be out. Yes. Everybody wanted to enjoy. And I know, and we're not, we're not and being I, a killjoy, but uh, the old adage still rings true. We're nearly there. Just hold tough for another week or two, and we should be, we should be pretty much okay. Linus, I have to leave it there because I want to mention our great competition. Thank you very much. Cork is reopening, of course, and Irish hospitality needs more than just luck. It needs you. And all this week, we've teamed up with Musgrave Marketplace, an Irish family business that has 145 years of service and heritage in the industry. And we're encouraging you to show you your support when you can by dining out. So all week we'll be giving you the chance to win vouchers to restaurants and hotels across Munster. Yesterday was Copper Grove and Bandon. Today it's going to be one of two we have this week for Sutton's Bar and Bistro at the Rochestown Park Hotel. And Tom Tobin runs a fantastic show there in the Rochestown Park. So this is the... Uh, theme tunes we're going to be asking you to identify. We're playing it now for reference only. Please do not call. Right now, we'll open the lines uh, closer to 12 o'clock. And a few more listens between now and 12 midday. News at 10 is next. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show And you can call the program on 1850104106 You can text us on 0868104106 Or email the program Neil at redfm.ie Good morning Nicole Good morning, how are you? I'm good, you sound particularly chirpy For somebody with such a serious and sad story to tell me Yes, uh, unfortunately. Um, I just, I suppose, um, last Wednesday our um, family home went on fire um, in Glamour. Um, I suppose it's a phone call that um, everybody dreads. Um, you know, even like my, uh, my mom wasn't at home at the time and a neighbour had rang her and said, oh, um, your house is on fire. And um, she was like, what? You know, she totally... Um, hadn't registered at all. You know, you hear of all these things happening, but you never, you know, realise how bad it is until it gets you know, closer to home and whatever. But um, I suppose everything in our house is destroyed. Um, furniture, everything. Um, and I suppose after 16 um, years, she literally walked out of her home with nothing. I saw, no. a pic- I saw a picture of the house, and we have it up on Facebook and Twitter right now as well. Uh, it, like, it, there's, it's, there's, there could be nothing left inside in it. Uh, no. Um, you know, uh, it started inside the front door. Um, it's by electrical fault. So it started either a fuse box or a socket, you know. And, like, the fire brigade um, told us that if, if it was in the middle of the night, we wouldn't have gotten out of the house, which is quite frightening. Wow. You know? And, yeah. And, you know, thankfully, there was nobody at home. 
but you know material things can be replaced to a degree you know it's still really really hard and she has to start all over again um you know and um but like you know our baby photos or you know the memories that we would have yeah, that's that's the missing thing, really, because you, you can replace the couch, you can replace the TV. Was there insurance involved, or was the house insured? And um, the contents of it wasn't, so um, she doesn't. You know, everything is is gone. Like you know, yeah, but it's the personal mementos, as you say, the exactly. child pictures and 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 memories like that. Uh, I know yeah. it's easy for me to say, but you know, every cloud is a silver lining. But uh, when you take th- when you take that statement from the fire services uh, about how lucky you were, it didn't happen at night. That is, yeah, it's quite frightening. And my brother was just gone from the house an hour previous, so you know, we're really, really counting our blessings. Yeah, because you know, if even if someone was in the house and try and tried to battle the blaze, it, it, there, there could have been a fatality. No At least you're all alive. Exactly. You know, and my brother is, you know, he's 15 and he said, if I was at home, I could have stopped it. And, you know, he was told and, you know, the fire brigade were absolutely fantastic. And the guards and they explained everything to him, you know, and that like, you know, they explained to him that, you know, there was nothing that he could have done and he could have seriously hurt himself or there could have been a fatality, Mm -hmm. you know. Because uh, we once had a fire in uh, a place I worked in an office and the temptation was to open the glass door and to, uh, you know, to go in and, and uh, the fire happened in a bin and yeah. uh, because of a cigarette. And um, the temptation is to open the door and get a fire extinguisher. Let's put that, let's put this out. And and something prevailed upon us to ring the fire brigade who told us afterwards, if you'd opened the door, the explosion of the glass would have nailed you to the opposite wall and killed you. Yeah, you know, even just standing, watching on, you know, what, like my mom was late um, arriving back. Obviously, she got back as quickly as she could. It was just myself and my brother. I was actually at my nan's at the time. And uh, we arrived up and, you know, watching your home burning and you can't do anything to stop it, you know. And we have fire doors on the front and the back of the house. And, you know, you can see how, like, there's such, like, a safety measure in the sense that, like, the door hadn't exploded out. Like, the fire brigade got to it on time. But as soon as the fire brigade had, you know, um, bust the door open, you can see how fire grows uh, with oxygen, you know, and it just exploded out. And they have such a tough job. And you can just imagine if there was anybody in the house. You know, you can understand how it can happen, like... Uh, you know, sometimes I, I think the fire crews don't get enough credit for putting themselves exactly. in harm's way. That's a lot of expertise to tackle a fire like that. It is. It really, really is. So where, where have you guys been staying? What's it been like since the devastating event? Um, so staying at my grand, my nan's at the moment um, until we can get somewhere temporary until the house is ready. You know, uh, the whole house will have to be gutted, ceiling, walls, you know, everything. And of course, um, by necessity, there's no water damage as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, everything, appliances, whole lot, everything is absolutely destroyed. You know, it was really, really scary, you know, to to see see how, like, in such a short space of time, your whole life can just get turned upside down. Mm-hmm. But you will get back to normal. You will you will have a fresh start. Exactly. You might be missing uh, might be missing some memories and little mementos, uh, but you you will get there. You seem to have the the courage of your convictions anyway. You seem to be taking it in a positive way, if I might say so. 
I suppose I kind of ha- have to because for my mum and you know my brother because you know and my sister is also living in England so it's quite hard for her as well you know she's only moved over there you know in the last year or so and like you know it's hard for her from over there and not being able to do anything to help you know mm-hmm. um, and I suppose my mum is just you know it's not in a great place and you know my brother is struggling a bit as well so I suppose being the older sibling um, you know I've kind of I'll deal with it in silence but I'll you know be positive and stuff you know in front of my mum and whatever Okay uh, well one of the ways to be positive I suppose or to get positivity from something is to see support coming your way and, and that end and to that end your friends have set up this GoFundMe link, which we have up on our Facebook and Twitter right now. So if you want to go visit the Neil Prendeville Show Facebook and Twitter pages, you can support the GoFundMe and help the family get back on their feet. Because that's what we do very well in Cork, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the support around the village has been brilliant, you know, we from calls and text messages and, you know, and everything. It means so much to my mom and, you know, my, uh, myself and my brother and my sister. It means a lot. Yeah, okay. So where do you go from here? It's going to be a while. Uh, You've you got to keep uh, your family spirits up, I guess. And I, I know the GoFundMe, if it starts to populate with, with a few quid, uh, is going to give you something to be positive about. Uh, but you're looking at an extended vacation of the house now, are you? Uh, yeah, a couple of months anyway, at least. At least. We're, not, um, we're just waiting on, you know, kind of more reports now and stuff and <laughs> to the extent of the work that needs to be done in the house and mm-hmm. stuff. And, and was it just a random act of uh, electrical fault? Uh, what, um, was it was it a charger plugged in? Was it a heater plugged um, in? Or um, no, they haven't. Like they've obviously done their initial reports and stuff, and they're they're still to um, assessments. Whatever. My house is very like even at home. You know, my mom and everyone is very kind of um, aware of just making sure that switches are turned off and you know not leaving things kind of plugged in and whatever. So you know, um, I, we don't know where, you know, but it's been um, highlighted to us that it was an electrical fault in the fuse board or a socket inside the door. Okay. Okay. Uh, we wish you all the very best. Once again, the GoFundMe link is on our Facebook and Twitter pages right now. You can support the GoFundMe and help the family get back on their feet. All of their belongings and all personal mementos and all children's pictures and memories like that uh, were just destroyed, completely gutted uh, in a fire in Glanworth last week. House gutted, everything went up in flames. Uh, I know I said you sounded chirpy, but I can tell as well, it, it's taken a bit of a toll on you, hasn't it, Nicole? Yeah, it really has, you know, because I was there with my brother when it was happening and, you know, it's absolutely horrifying and it was probably one of the worst things that I've had to go through, you know, so even, you know, trying to be there for my brother and, you know, it was very, very upsetting, very upsetting. I suppose it's you like know, watching a family member be involved in a car accident in slow motion. Yes, exactly, and you can't do anything to stop it, you know. Exactly. Nicole, I I know it's going to come good for you. Keep in touch with how things are going, and if you need us to give another little push to the GoFundMe link, then we'll be only too happy to do that for you. Thank you so much. Thanks a million, Nicole, and all the very best getting back on your feet uh, housewise. Thanks a lot. That's Nicole there. Thanks from uh, from Glanworth. 17 minutes past 10. Some texts which came in on 0868104106. Hi Mick, I was driving home over the weekend and saw a couple of young fellas in broad daylight urinating outside of an off-license. Disgusting. I saw worst uh, over the past few weeks. Too much to repeat. It was appalling, says Geraldine. The guardie are there to enforce the government's will on the people, uh, says another texter. Mick, why are the guards not being prioritised for vaccines? They are expected to go out and deal with hundreds of people congregating on the streets in Cork and Dublin. Yet many of them are not vaccinated at all. 
It's a joke. Uh, hi, Mick, in light of the weekend's fake pearl-clutching outrage expressed by our tyrannical politicians, Emperor Tony Houlihan, and our complicit media, the thought occurs to me that if anyone is planning on going out and enjoying the long weekend, they ought to bring a Palestinian flag or a rainbow flag or a BLM flag with them as this virus seems to be politically motivated, says Richie, sarcastically. But uh, nice one, Richie. Richie's from Toker. On the asylum topic, hi Mick, in relation to your emailers' comments on immigration and housing yesterday, are you aware that the Department of Justice, on behalf of asylum seekers, actually bid against local authorities when purchasing homes? This means that a government department funded by the Irish taxpayer is actively working against the Irish people in favour of foreign nationals, thus artificially pushing up the price of housing for everyone, uh, also says uh, Richie. Uh, Mick, there's a lot of propaganda around the whole asylum process. We never hear about the huge rejection rates, multiple appeals, money to be made by the legal profession and people coming from poor but safe countries via safe countries like France and the UK. The Dublin Convention is widely ignored. The two main countries in 2019 from which applicants came were Albania and Georgia. To really understand what's going on, people need to read the day report of the Department of Housing response to it, says Peter. On the green cert and travel, which we covered yesterday, it's not going to be called the uh, vaccination passport now anymore. It's going to be called your green certificate. Hi, Mick. The green cert will be available on smartphones and in printed form, says Mike. Anyone who's rightly against mandatory vaccinations in the form of digital green certs but complies solely in order to go on holidays is betraying their own principles and their fellow countrymen and women. A week in Tenerife for 30 pieces of silver. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Good morning, Mick. We are so far behind every other country because that's what the government wanted to create, a nanny state, encouraging people to become snakes and snitches in Donegal. They've completely lost the run of themselves and they are a complete and utter disgrace. If Dr. Tony Houlihan and Neffet had their way, we would all be social distancing under a rock. Love the show. A few more texts. What happens if you lose your phone while on holidays? You lose your COVID-19 pass. With a card, you can just have it photographed on your phone and in your wallet. Just a thought, uh, says Cullum G. I'd also prefer a card. I think it's much more transferable, much more amenable. Uh, and if it carries your picture or has a digital uh, picture which, that you swipe like when you go on a cruise liner, I think that would be better as well. I agree with you. Thanks for that, Cullum. Hi, Mick. Uh, you also have the Indian variant, which is only 20% effective with one dose of AstraZeneca. So that's another huge problem coming down the track, says Jerry. And one more. Uh, hi, Mick. How long are people going to put up with Tony Houlihan's BS? He and Neffet are ruining the country, and we the people are letting them get away with it. They need to be made accountable for their actions. And we'll have more on that before the end of the program. But uh, I gave a scant mention to our promotion just before the news at 10, and I want to give you a couple of chances more to listen to the three uh, SIG tunes, or theme tunes, as part of our Musgrave Marketplace promotion this week. We have a Sutton's Bar and Bistro. A uh, 150 euro voucher to give away for you to enjoy at the lovely Rochestown Park Hotel. Musgrave Marketplace have 145 years of heritage and service to the community and are encouraging you to show your support by dining out uh, when you get the chance to do so. And of course, you can do it from an outside perspective from next Monday. Uh, and you can do it, I suppose, from an inside perspective as well and uh, and an outside perspective if from tomorrow you are a bona fide resident of a hotel. So all week, we're going to be giving you the chance to win vouchers to restaurants and hotels across Munster, thanks to Musgrave Marketplace. Be in time to win with Musgrave Marketplace because the hospitality industry needs us. We'll open the lines uh, just before 12, but just to give you another couple of listens 
to our three sig tunes. Here they are. Want to hear them one more time? There you go. We'll give you a few more listens between now and 12 midday. It's 21 minutes past 10. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. And it's Mick Mulcahy in for Neil for this week and for next week as he takes that uh, well-deserved break, not having had a week off since last September. Uh, no socialising uh, is an email that came in to me. Hi, Mick. Uh, don't want to complain too much, but myself and a friend of mine were told to leave the area outside the electric pub Saturday evening at about 7pm. We had no alcohol on us. It was just the two of us sitting by ourselves in the corner, enjoying the sun. I don't want to criticise the guards as they're under pressure and there were groups drinking and playing loud music in the area. I'm in my 40s. My friend is the same age. So why were we told to leave the area? What law were we breaking? I just think this was unfair. I can't come on air, but I just thought this should be highlighted as we haven't had any social activity for a long time now and sitting on the ground with a friend seems to be not allowed. So says Paul. Uh, the NDLS is a, this is my text, is a private company run by SGS, and they have told staff their hours are reduced to one day a week as everything will go online. Abtran runs the call centre in Mahan, so it's three separate companies running the theory test. That's my understanding. The call centre and the NDLS offices. So good luck getting anywhere with them, says this texture. And on the National Driving Licence uh, and on uh, machinations around it and access to it, we have Sean on line two. Good morning, Sean. Oh, good morning, uh, Mick. How are you? Good. Now, you applied for your licence over six months ago. Yeah, I applied for my licence over six months ago. I had all my documentation in order. I applied online and um, I sent in everything to the NDLS that was required. I also had to get a certificate of entitlement to drive um, from the um, from the from, uh, uh, embassy. And um, what I had to do is... Um, te- Get, get that sent in also. I conformed with everything they requested me to do so, and to date, I've still not got a driving licence. Okay, that's six months. Which country were you coming from? Um, I had a Hungarian driving licence, uh, which was valid within the EU. The worst thing I'd done was actually surrender it and hand it in. If I kept on to it, I could still drive. Um, I have a car that's insured. I've had to paying road tax for a year. Um, I'm and I still I'm still not on the road, so um, I'm left now with the position of I went in and made an appointment to go into the NDLS office yesterday. I was in there to see them. They said they could do nothing for me because I applied online. They're actually quite rude about it. They weren't really interested in my position or my case or anything, even though I, I'm uh, actually a disabled driver as well. And um, they uh, basically dismissed me and told me go back to uh, who I applied to online. Um, if you ring up the online um, uh, helpline, uh, you're waiting for about uh, an hour. Uh, you get through to somebody who then goes through to a supervisor or puts you on hold. You could be waiting for half an hour or the call would be cut off and you get absolutely nowhere. So... Sean, I'm, I'm rapidly coming to the personal opinion that yeah. this, this service is not fit for purpose. And I don't know where it's the book stops. Purpose, the, no. Does the book stop with Eamon, Eamon Ryan, in which case, God help us? No, it, it, it stops with him. And that was just going to be my next point. My next point would be to, um, and I've discussed it as well with a, a couple of solicitors and barristers, about going to the High Court and seeking an emergency injunction 
uh, against Eamon Ryan uh, for an order um, requesting that the licence be issued. And that's what needs to be done because he, he's not managing that part of his, uh, of, of his ministerial office efficiently and effectively. Um, I think it calls for a vote of no confidence in him. I think he should hand back his seal of office to President Higgins because he's not able to... Well, that's, that's do not going to happen. I don't want to turn it into a personal attack now on, on, on Eamon Ryan. I, he wouldn't be my favourite politician. Well, it's not a personal attack. There's hundreds of thousands of people like me. You know what I mean? Well, this, is, this, is, uh, uh, this is in breach of, of my constitutional rights and also my European uh, rights. What, why did you hand back the Hungarian licence, Sean? Uh, because what happened is I wanted to conform here you know, with the uh, Irish authorities and make sure that I had an Irish license and that if I was ever had to produce it or stopped or anything like that, that there wouldn't be any sort of questions raised or anything like that um, uh, regarding uh, you know what you know your resident here now. Whereas I could actually held on to it for a year, but I just wanted to give everything in order so that I could go forward with uh, insurance and, and everything else. Is Hungary in the EU, but pardon my ignorance, is, is Hungary part of the EU? I know they don't use the euro, they use yeah. their national currency yeah. as, the, as, the, as the foreign. That's correct, that's correct, yeah. That's their, their, their currency. Um, but it is part of the EU and is recognised. And they also recognised it when I initially uh, handed in. They know, um, they know exactly. There's a system called Eucharist and also RESPER, and they can go into that system um, within the EU and check all EU licences, and they've confirmed it and checked it and done everything. So, uh, basically... I, I just read a text uh, a few minutes ago, Sean, that, 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 that said the, the, the workers in this service were told that their, their hours are reduced to one day a week because it's all going online. If that is the case, and I'm not sure it is, I can't verify it, but if that's the case, no wonder they're maybe a bit disenfranchised or maybe a little bit resistant to help anyone who applied online. Well, um, it's not about being resistant. Um, there's an office there. It's open to the public. Um, and the old motor tax office was more efficient than the NDLS. And with all the resources and with everything that's available to it, it still can function. Mm. Now, that must... Now, it, that that starts at the top, and you know if the minister can't get his office to work, well then there's either something wrong with the office or there's something wrong with the minister. But in any event, it takes ministerial responsibility to get these things to function. I, I remember, Sean, when when, when, when the banks work. tried to educate people through bad service, they reduced the number uh, the number of tellers behind the counter. Uh, creating large queues while they had big, big signs in the bank saying, please use the ATMs and our electronic banking. It just doesn't work. You can't educate people with bad service. But if this is a private concern, if, if SGS are running this, and once again, I'm not sure if they are or not, but whoever's running this service, how are they making money with such bad service? Well, yeah, it seems to be split into three. I, I presume it's a taxpayer that's paying for it, and it's, ta it's paying for no service. That's basically it, um, because if you can't even get a, a, a license um, that you're entitled to, what hope would that poor uh, person from Singapore have when 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 they've tried so hard to um, you know to get it? When you know I've already got a license number, I've done a, a subject access request with the Road Safety Authority, and they said, yeah, we can see all your details here. 
It's all been uh, done. It's ready for issue, and it still hasn't been issued. It's wow. a complete mess. So, you know, I can listen to your own frustration there, you, you, that what you said about you had with your own son and everything, trying to get that sorted Up out. Up to Castlebar, I had to drive. You know? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a complete mess, and it needs to be highlighted, and something needs to be done, because the minister must take ministerial responsibility, and if he can't do his job, then, you know, we need, if, we need a, if I need a court order, I'll just go and get it because I have the ability and the facilities to do so and that's my next step. But when, 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 when somebody is time. considering moving to Singapore to get work because they can't get work here without a driving license and they can't transport their son to required medical procedures and they're just meeting a brick wall for months and months on end, something is definitely wrong here. Yeah, it's, it, it's broken down completely and it's not fit for purpose, as you say. You know, so something... Um, is not right and somebody needs to step in whether it's the Taoiseach or, or somebody and uh, take control of this department because it's um, it's totally disjointed. But with, with, with the lack of, uh, over the course of the pandemic, the lack of availability of driving instruction, the lack of availability of theory tests, the lack of availability of examinations for your driving test, um, you would imagine that demand has been pretty low on the services mm-hmm. that, that you require. How are they going to manage when the floodgates open? That's it, you know. And, you know, I can see maybe some firms of solicitors above in, in, in Dublin probably thinking there's a class action here to be had. You know, there'll be a lot of people looking to be compensated because of this. They won't be able to go to their jobs. They can't enjoy uh, the freedom of movement. They can't, you know... We say, you know, go on a motorcycle uh, uh, drive or use their car or do anything that is associated with the with with, with driving and the, the enjoyment of driving, and um, whether it be on a, on a motorcycle or in a car or even we say people who want to get a HGV license because that has to all go through the NDLS as well to get those entitlements put onto their license. So that's another problem. The hauliers will have a difficulty as well. It shouldn't be like this. It just shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. But um, I think, you know, your programme is highlighting it and it needs to be highlighted and they need to be really shamed into showing how bad they are and how useless they are and how, you know, that they're, you know, there's a complete dereliction of duty towards the Irish people and the Irish state by this department. Okay, strong words indeed, but I guess if you can't navigate the system to get what you want, they are inexorably moving the state towards what can only happen if there's an immovable object here. Uh, if, there's an, if there's an impossible amount of people uh, who can't access driving licenses, they're going to have to offer an amnesty. And I'm not sure what that will do for road safety statistics. That's it again, you see, we're back to that, and then that creates a whole other argument, you know. But as the old adage goes, we can't, you can't take the law into your own hands, take them to court. And that's where that's my next step anyway. All right, will you keep us informed on that, Sean? Absolutely, will do, Mick. Okay, thanks a million. Thank you very much. Thanks, bye-bye. Uh, that's all Sean, thanks, who applied for his licence over six months ago, paid for it all online. Uh, I was changing over from a Hungarian licence to an Irish one. 
and has heard nothing since in six months. Went to the uh, NDLS yesterday and was extremely dissatisfied with the service. Uh, no help at all because he applied online, which he was, of course, advised to do in the first place. Let's go to line three and to David. Hi, David. Hi, Mick. How are you? Okay, I'm very good. You're having uh, problems uh, with insurance, is it? Well, we did. Uh, I tell you, Mick, I'm living in Denmark now. We moved back. We were in. Uh, we moved back to myself, my girlfriend. She's Danish, and we moved back to Ireland in 2015. And um, when we tried to get insurance, uh, we, we, we couldn't get insurance. We're, we're like we bought it. She had a driving license. She has her full EU driving license since. Oh, you know. It was about 30 years she's been driving without any crashes or anything at all. And the insurance companies just said, the first three companies I rang to, they just said, no, she had to be driving here a minimum of three years. Uh, and I said, but, you know, you know, we're only back. You know, she needs to get driving. She's a full driving license. How can she drive for three years if you want to insure her? It, they just wouldn't insure her. They wouldn't even, it wasn't even a question of how much. They just said, they just said no. Um, so we were in the same position as regards work. Uh, you need a car to get around in Ireland and uh, work for everything. And uh, it just, uh, at, at, at one point, we, we bought a little Fiesta, deliberately a small little 1.3 Fiesta, I think with 60 horsepower, deliberately, because we had heard that the insurance was a bit of a problem in Ireland at the time. Um, but, but the first insurance company that would quote us, um, they, they wanted a... Two and a half thousand euro for third party fire and theft, um, and and the guy had on the phone, you know, he was all chirpy cheery. How's that sounding, Dave? And and I just said, oh my god, this is this is just crazy, you know. So we um, we decided uh, we um, at the time we were saying, well, look, if we can't get insurance, we're we're literally going to have to move back because. Um, you know, we 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 my, my girlfriend being Danish, she had a few friends as well, another uh, friend of hers who was Finnish. Uh, she couldn't get insurance either. She lived in Clannacilty. Um and it's not that she didn't want to pay. They, they just say they just say no. They just won't insure them. And uh, so um, she, she simply drove without insurance because she had no other choice, um, wow. and she just took the chance. And I know a lot of people as well in Ireland from 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 being home, especially you now. Not all, if you be careful what I'm saying here, but not all foreigners, of course. But a lot of people who are so desperate. Um, it's not that they're not willing to pay insurance. They're just being just told no because you know you've no history here as regarding your driving. They won't accept. They won't accept your no claims bonus from the companies or Danish company as well. They wouldn't accept our no claims bonus. Uh, they wouldn't. It, it was just completely crazy, you know. Now we did get insurance in the end, um, and I think it was more luck than anything else. Um, we moved back in 2017 because between the the rent, the car insurance, just we, we got we got it reasonably. So about we we actually ended up getting insurance for about 600 quid, um, okay. and that company would. But what actually happened was, believe it or not, they wouldn't accept her license. And what happened was, we actually had a break in in the car, and as stupid as she was, she left her wallet in in the car, and it was taken. But she lost her license then, so she had to reapply for a license. Uh, so she went in, applied for the license. Uh, obviously, the Irish authorities contacted Danish authorities, to, you know, to confirm that she has the license. All that was good. So she was issued with an Irish license. <laughs> I was going to say, let so, me guess, she got an Irish license by default. By default, yeah. And what happened? Yeah, and what happened then was 
when uh, when I rang the insurance company, um, another insurance company, uh, they asked her if she, you know, you know her her name has, is obviously you can hear it's not an Irish name, it's a Danish name, but but they um, they said does she have an Irish license? First thing they asked, does she have an Irish license? I said actually she does. You know, <laughs> brilliant. Um, and, Listen, I, I, I'm appalled that anyone would ever consider driving without insurance, but the upshot of an accident there, right? Completely, it, yeah, it, completely, it, it, I totally agree. The totally upshot of an accident there is that it once again falls back on the Irish state to make reparation, and there, thereby the taxpayer, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's desperate because it, it's really putting people in, in an awful situation, especially like that woman in, in West Cork, um, you know, where you know, you, you're so reliable on the car, and, and, and they're, they're using you know, rent, people's rent, where they need, you need a place to live, and, and you need transport in Ireland just to, you know, you need a place to live and you're going to need transport so that you can get to work uh, and, and, and pay your way. Like yeah, you you, you probably can't afford a place in the city where you don't need transport. You could use public transport. And if you move out to the country to get cheaper rent, you're going to need the car and you can't get insurance. Listen, um, David, by, by way of comparison yeah. for our listeners, will you take me through the insurance process in Denmark as you know it and how it would compare to what's yeah. happening here? Well, I'll tell you now, we, I, I just, actually, I, I, I drive both car and bike. And um, in, in Denmark, when you, when you buy a car, um, you, you don't even speak with the insurance company. What happens is um, you buy a car and it's all done online. It's just simply transfer. So you'll transfer the ownership of the car to your name. And when you do that online, you have to choose an insurance company. Now, there, there are a lot of them. You choose whichever one you want. Um, and that's it. It's from that minute that you press, you know... So you can shop around for pricing with all the different insurance ones, can you? You or can, but, but you, you, like, I'll tell you, Mick, you don't have to because the insurance prices here are... Like, I have... Um, it's, it's, I just bought a, a Yamaha 600, and the insurance for that is like, it's 74 euro, you know? What? Um, the tax is more than that here. Have, yeah, yeah. But our car, we have we have a Grand Vitara. It's a two liter Grand Vitara, and that's from. And this is the other thing as well. This thing with the car being more than fifteen years old. Oh, we won't look at it. We won't insure it. I mean, that's a joke. Here, it doesn't matter. Your your NCT is every two years, not every year. Um, and number two, whether the car is ten years old or twenty or so. Actually, the older the car, the cheaper the insurance. Um, and we have a Grand Vitara, and that's a two liter engine on that, and. You, you, we, we've never spoken with the insurance company. When we bought the car, the ownership is transferred online. And as soon as, it's, as that's done, you ha- it's a process step one, two, three, four. You have to choose one of the insurance companies. You choose the, incom- the company. And from that moment, you press the button, the car is insured. And then the, the, the bill will come to you during, you know, whatever. Within a few days, it'll just arrive, you know, on, it'll arrive online and you just pay it and that's it. Um, so it, it's very, very simple. Um, you don't speak with anyone because I remember back when I came home to Ireland as well, I said, you know, I got the number for the first insurance company and during my break, I had, was working in Little Island and I had a, I said, grand, we had an hour break. So I thought, great, I'll make this phone call now. And this phone call took 40 minutes. You know, they want to know everything about your, you know, have you any claims or actually one of the companies, you know, that it was insured on the bike. Every year you had to renew the insurance and they would ask you all the questions again. The same question. You have, these, you have these there, on record. There has, yeah, and, and, and on top of it, it had um, 
do you have any claims or accidents within the last 11 years? And I'm like, what? You know, here, you, you don't speak with the insurance company. It's, it's all just done online. The car is insured, done and dusted. It's a model of efficiency. David, thanks for that. Big differences yeah. between no, here and Denmark. Thanks a million. Care, everyone. Best yeah. of luck. Yeah. Do you want to say hi to anyone while you're, while you're on? Yeah, I'd, actually, I'd love to say hello to my mom and dad, my sisters, uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, definitely my sisters and my nieces in, in Bandon. And I bet you yeah. forgot someone and you'll be chastised now on social media later on. Yeah, yeah. You oh, probably true. did forget someone. Thanks a million, David. Uh, let's take one more. Thanks a million. Let's take one more call. Con, good morning. Hey, good morning to you. How are you doing? Good. You were listening to the lady with the problem for, for her Singapore husband and the problem he has getting a driver's license. Well, you know, the biggest problem is the communication, Mick, you know. Geez, they're unbelievable because I'm in a different scenario. I, I have um, a registered camper van there in Cork, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, look, of course, Brexit came in, the UK licence had to be changed, but I'm not living there long enough to change it. But they could, they, they, I rang, I eventually got a hold of them. I was an hour and a half nearly, and they cut me off. I tried again, as long again, and they finally said I would be legally, uh, it would be legal for me to drive my van in Ireland with a UK licence in the situation that I was in. But then the insurance company shot me down. They said no. So I just, what I did, I, I just re-registered it in the UK, Mick, and that's the way, it's, it's got UK plates on it now, and that's that's the only way I could do it. Okay, and that has its own implications, of course, for ownership or for VRT, does it? Well, I said, it's all been done before. It was imported to to, to ERA before, so okay. there wasn't any great problem with that. I, I think it was easy for me to communicate with people here in the DVLA, like, there was a lady up in Ballina. She was quite helpful eventually. But, like, she didn't actually know a lot about it. But it, it seems to me, kind of like there's too many layers in this system. There's no clarity even in the, the organisational structure of this system. Mick, that's right. I had to go and speak to a lady from, uh, uh, from uh, Roscommon. She was very helpful. She was on about the VRT. Now, she was very helpful. But in general, the... Uh, the uh, RSA or whatever they're called, they're impossible to get a hold of. They don't want to speak to you. They hang up on you. They don't seem to care. I don't seem to know. And that's it. And it's not fair on people. It's, it's not as difficult for me because I don't need a car for work like that That gentleman from Singapore in West Cork, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very it's, unfair, it's, and, uh, you know. It's something we're going to have to watch because the, the number of texts we're getting on this, is, it's just a, it seems to be an outlandish situation. That, uh, yeah, and as I said before, what happens when the floodgates open here? We've well, Mick, you're right there about that. Now, something interesting came up. The insurance people didn't. They said to me, am I or have I got five years, no claims, bonus in ERA? I said, listen, I haven't lived there for nearly 50 years. I said, no. I said, I don't I have a whole, I have a home there. I have a PRS, whatever you call it, number. I said, no. And, then, and they, they just shut me down, you know. So, look. Mm. I, I found an easier way out of it. I can drive that van, the camper van in Ireland now with the UK place on and that's it. Wow. That's the only way I could do it. Well, well done for being so... Uh, <laughs> I suppose, what, what can I say? An English solution for an Irish problem. Well, it's, look, unfortunately, the, the problem in Ireland is for the people in Ireland. And that is it, you know. I don't live there full time. I could spend four or five months there. But that's what they said to me. If I don't spend over 184 days... Uh, 
a year in Ireland, I cannot change my licence. I said, I don't. And that's it. And I could spend close on it. It's not more than six months. So they said, then they said, actually, I spoke to somebody else in another channel, another radio channel, and they said they found out for me that I was legally able to drive the van in Ireland with UK plates in that situation. But it, it, it just, it got a bit confusing for me in the end, you know. Yeah, okay. How are things opening up in the UK? Con, they're saying now there's some problems because of the uh, um, the emergence of the Indian variant. Well, make it is actually you now here. It, it, people are getting look. I think the biggest worry about people now they could lock it down again and there'll be no summer. That's the that's the issue. Yeah, they lock it down you again. Know. There'll probably be no compliance either. Well, no. I'm I'm actually heading back to Ireland tomorrow. I'm 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 just loading up my camper van now. I'm hitting the road west. And you won't have you know, to do any quarantining or any testing or any of that, will you? Well, I, I've had two injections here. I've had two jabs. I'm just going to get my PRC test in about two hours' time. What, what, um, what's that going to cost you in the UK, Con? 140, 140 pounds. Okay, so it's pretty similar to here, 150 euros. In fact, it's even dearer. Yes, yes, and it's a 72-hour lifespan in it. So I, I, have to, I have to leave home here in the morning, and I, I get the results in, in when I'm in Pembroke. Hopefully right. it's going to be negative, and then I'm I, I've got everything else to. to I'm, I am actually not sure about the um, the isolation. Uh, the isolation apparently not uh, make. No, I, I, I think once once you have that, uh, once you have that negative PCR test, you should be good to go. And the two jabs as well. I've got the two jabs. Yeah, you look, yeah. The yeah. Well, best so of luck, Con. Safe I'm safe driving to you. Make mind yourself. Thanks very much. All the best. Thanks. Bye-bye. Let's take a positive uh, email before we uh, take a break. Good morning, everyone. Listening to your show this morning about the complaints about bus drivers. This was with Neil last week. Well, my mother, who's 84, and I have had a wonderful experience with a driver on a service from West Cork Connect from Skibbereen. My mother absolutely hates travelling on buses and is a very nervous passenger even in a car. A few Sundays ago, my mum and I had to travel to the city by bus. The driver was absolutely brilliant the whole journey, making sure she was okay. He drove with such professionalism, there was no hard braking or accelerating, and he drove very comfortably. It was so good, my mother travels now every second Sunday with this driver to my home in Clonakilty, instead of me having to drive to Skibbereen to collect her to bring her over to my house. She always asks the, uh, asks the driver now, when she gets on, what Sunday he's working and she makes sure to travel with him. The driver's name is Finbar. I think his name is, I think that's his name anyway, and he's always very polite and professional. Mum now insists on travelling on the bus without me when Finbar is driving, which is great for her. So it's done her confidence an enormous boost. Big thanks to Finbar for putting my mum at ease while she travels. We even travelled up to the city with him on Saturday. Mum got on in Skibbereen, and I just met up at the bus in Clonakilty. It's a pleasure. Fantastic service and a brilliant driver. Keep up the good work, says Sandra. So credit where credit is due, West Cork Connect from Skibbereen. Driver Finbar, take a bow. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And it's seven and a half minutes to 11. Back to our phone lines and to Seamus. Good morning, Seamus. Good morning. How are you doing, Mitch? Very good. Common denominator here? Yes, this is the common denominator appears to be the government. You know, I'm listening to some of the stories that I hear and, you know, about Eamon Ryan and, and other members of the government should be doing this and should be doing that and should have a plan for this and should have a plan for that and so on and so forth. And it just appears that the common denominator in all of the problems that have existed 
beyond even the last 15 months, which are going to come to the fore now, which the government are probably terrified of, like the previous mess they left, left us with, is themselves and their mess. And they are the problem. Like, and I just want to highlight the fact that really, realistically, people have been crying out for different things to happen and things to be done a certain way. And, you know, for the fact that the government should be doing certain things, and they're not. And the mere fact that they haven't done it, haven't delivered it at a, at a certain level to this point, haven't uh, supported really the people, bar the PUP payment, you know, everyone's going to have to pay that back at an astronomic level beyond the 2007 bailout uh, uh, rate. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're caught between a rock and a hard place here, Seamus, because like, yeah. th- th- this payment didn't exist before the pandemic. It does now. It has to be tapered down. And if they don't invigorate the economy quickly oh, no. enough to get enough people back to work, there's going to be the, the ultimate uh, upside yeah, or downside of all, of all that. It's going to be increased taxes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I understand that at some level. But like the, the problems that existed before this, you know, they, they're going to be blamed on the, the, the they're going to blame it all on the, the pandemic. Realistically, what I'm what the my, the point I'm trying to make basically is that there's a number of people coming on from different businesses and having various issues, and the common denominator is the government. They have not delivered, will not deliver, and, and are not delivering on the uh, uh, like to, for the, when it comes to the needs of the people of this country. And the fact, what I'm trying to say is that nothing is going to change unless you change your government. The one question I'd ask the general public is why up to this point is nobody organising a protest against the actual government themselves and demanding a change and demand a general election. That's what you have to do. But, but people you know, need, people need standard state documents, Seamus. They need standard state documents. They need access to their Irish driving licence. God knows the system is hard enough to navigate to get it. And the restrictions on, on being able to even apply for it uh, and the 12 lessons, and I know that supports the the driving, uh, you know, safety on the roads and the driving yeah. instructors and all of that. Yeah. People need access to other state documents like birth certs. These are public. How, how many how are... many passports will be applied for uh, when the floodgates oh. open on travel? Will the system right. be able to cope for that? There won't be. So look at it. I'll tell you just to put perspective on it. Look at the state of the HSE. We've already been hacked now at this point. And that's because, the government won't tell this to you, but it's because of their own failure to update their own systems from whatever it was, Windows Vista or Windows 98. I mean, that tells you that the, you know, the incentive wasn't there to protect the, the, the patient's data, especially at the time when they were under fierce pressure with COVID-19 and so on and so forth. No money was pumped into that. What was the first thing that this government did three weeks in power um, under Michal Martin? They rushed through legislation to uh, give themselves pay rises and reinstate whatever they wanted to get in terms of benefits. Four pay rises in 15 months during the, during well, this, the pandemic. This time last year, if you remember, they were renting huge space, even in the City West Hotel, for these kind of field hospitals, uh, so, so that the emergency uh, ICU beds would not be overrun. And that's all very well, uh, until you look at it from a context of lack of investment in, in the previous 10 or 15 years. Uh, in in the emergency services and in ICUs is the real reason why they had to rent extra space. Exactly, well, like they're cut out. Like I mean, if, if the, the worrying thing about all of this is, well, the people be, start to forget they get that another you know another attack of amnesia. I suppose when it comes up to election day, uh, number whatever it is, like yeah, the next election, because whatever they try to sell you now, try to remember what they've done during a crisis and what's happened to date. But don't forget. Before the data uh, leak, or the, the, you know, the, 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 the hack, I suppose, there was almost 900,000 people registered on waiting lists for hospital care and surgery in this country. That's one in four of the population, practically. Yeah, there's 10% of that waiting for a passport. 
90,000. But where does this go? It just shows you how the, 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 the public service, I suppose, and the administrative level of it all is just absolutely defunct of purpose. Yeah, but I mean, is, is, is the tail wagging the dog? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Practically, I mean, Stephen Donnelly made a comment there last week when he was challenged before a member of the media, you know, he was questioned um, as to his thoughts on a potential legal action for um, for a gross data breach under GDPR rules as a result of the government's failure to update their own IT systems in order to protect patient data and as a result allowing the system to be hacked um, at a gross level. And so, you know, what, what can you say? His response to that was, I find that distasteful. Yeah, it's going to be you know, unsavoury. Yeah, yeah. Seamus, I'm going to leave it there. I wonder, just one last point, I wonder will Stephen Donnelly find it distasteful when he tries to foot the bill of 100 million plus whatever else on the taxpayer as a result of their own mess. Exactly. People need to remember this and if you want to change, you have to demand it. All right, Seamus. Thanks a million. I'll, I'll mention our Musgrave Marketplace uh, competition after news at 11, which is next. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prandival Show. Now, a very happy 53rd wedding anniversary to Brian and Mary Yelverton from Boyce's Street. We hope they have a wonderful day uh, together today from lots of family and friends who've been texting in. Uh, so a very happy 53rd wedding anniversary. And I know they're listening. Brian and Mary Yelverton, uh, regular listeners to the program. They're from Boyce's Street and they're 53 years married today. So happy 53rd wedding anniversary to the Yelvertons, Brian and Mary. Now, travelling from Great Britain, uh, I'm not sure if it's worth picking up on the last caller. He is required to do 14 days of quarantine after arriving from Great Britain. Uh, but it can be ended early. He needs a negative PCR test taken in Britain to enter Ireland in the first place. It's then a requirement to go into 14 days quarantine, which he can end early by taking a second PCR test in Ireland no less than five days after uh, arrival. So does that mean he's got a quarantine for five days? I think it does. Uh, if that test comes back negative, then his period of quarantine can end. I wonder, can he quarantine in his camper van? Or does he have to quarantine in one of the registered hotels? Probably the hotels, I suppose. Uh, but uh, happy to clarify that. That's what I was asking. Does he have to quarantine? It looks as though he does. Uh, a 14-day period, but he can end it after five if he gets a second PCR test, which comes back negative. All of these PCR tests, of course, put an inordinate amount of extra expense on to travel. On the subject of the NDLS centre, Mick, tell that man when the application leaves the NDLS office, they have no access to it after that. All they can see is if it's issued or not. Plus, they are not allowed call the call centre for any info whatsoever. I'm an ex-employee, so I know what I'm talking about. The only way to get info after you leave the office is through the call centre after the application uh, leaves the office and you can't call the call centre. You're not allowed. Hi, I'm waiting since last September for a driving test. The system is a complete and utter joke. It should be if you have your 14 lessons complete that you can drive on your own until you get your test because I'm paying tax and insurance not getting any use out of the car. I use the bus to get to work every day and I rely on lifts, which was a big issue during COVID as my work had a problem with it over the two-meter rule and the possibility of passing on COVID to co-workers. So it's been very tough on me and a complete waste of money. Keep my name 
uh, off the air, please. I want to remain anonymous. But that is uh, very hard to be taking if you have your tax and your insurance paid, not getting any use out of the car. Uh, it's, is it 12 or 14 lessons? It's a 12 lesson system. So I imagine it's a 12 lessons complete. Uh, and there's a very good idea as well. Just came in there by text and I hope we can get it online in a minute as to taking a 13th lesson. When Cork Motor Tax Office was dealing with the driving licenses, there was no issues. And this is a recurring theme across texts that we're getting into 0868104106. Do you remember the little desk down to the left of the uh, driving uh, test, or not the driving test, the, uh, the, uh, car tax office uh, and I've been in uh, two of them uh, in my lifetime one in the county hall and one out at the end uh, down by the uh, the CIT or the technical university uh, on the model farm road and uh, little desk down at the end just go down there deal with your license it was quick it was efficient it was courteous uh, and it was simple and now it's layer upon layer of red tape and I just don't know where it's all gone wrong but yes uh, there is uh, a certain amount of truth in what you said you were saying the driving license system was so easily accessible and simple uh, when it was located in the motor tax office now i wanted to mention this before 11 we've got a great competition on this week with musgraves marketplace this is an irish family business and it's a local cork family business as well their center is here and they're passionate about supporting jobs in our local economy and they do it nationwide of course but musgrave marketplace have a 145 year heritage and they're encouraging you and all of us, to show our support to the businesses just taking their first steps to open. Uh, and we're going to be giving away vouchers, thanks to Musgrave Marketplace, to restaurants and hotels across Munster. Big day for the hotels, of course. Uh, tomorrow and big days next week for outside service as well. So with Musgrave Marketplace, the hospitality industry needs us. That's what they're saying. And we've got a €150 voucher today to give away for Sutton's Bar and Bistro at the Rochestown Park Hotel. It's a daily competition. And at the end of the week, one of our daily winners will also win a €500 voucher for the lovely Brehan Hotel in Killarney with Musgrave Marketplace. Okay, your local hospitality industry needs more than just luck this time around. It needs all of us. And we're going to open the line, so please don't call just now. We're going to open them coming up towards 12 o'clock today, 12 noon. But here is the three theme tunes we want you to identify. Once again... And that will be uh, open at about three or four minutes to 12 o'clock and we'll take a caller, caller number 10. And please don't call just now. I'm not opening the lines until just before 12 midday. Let's get back to the phone lines now and to Annette. Good morning, Annette. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. I just mentioned the 13th driving lesson idea and I think it's one of the best ideas we've had in here in a long time. I just can't understand that your driving instructor is the guy that knows you best and gets you prepared for your test. You do your 12 lessons and your 13th lesson becomes your driving test problem solved as far as I'm concerned. Like, I have a son there now. He has done eight lessons, but when COVID kicked in, he can't do his test, he can't apply for his test. And the driving instructor told him after so many lessons that as far as he was concerned, he was test ready. And then the other problem then is the day you do your driving test, if you pass your test, you may have to wait six weeks then to get your license or you have an option of maybe going, a friend of ours yet to travel to Kilkenny to get his license. Otherwise, you would have been waiting six weeks to get in Cork. I can't understand why they can't bring in a system whereby you do your 12 lessons, your 13th is your test, you pass your test that day, you go in, you get your photograph taken, issued your license, end off. Mm-hmm. 
there, there are sy- there, you know there, there are systems being uh, criticised across our public services, but I don't think I've ever come across anything so ill-fitting for the purpose it was designed for. It's layer upon layer of red tape and bureaucracy, lack of accountability, lack of communication, lack of availability of any sort of coherent service. Uh, I'd love, I'd love if the minister would come on air and say, can you? I'd say, can you explain to me the coherent way that this service is working? Because it isn't. Absolutely. I think it's actually turning out to be a kind of a money-making racket. You know, even you do your 13 test lessons, you pay, I don't know, is it three or 400 euros? Then you have to apply for your test. That's another 80 euros. You pay your test, you have to wait another six months. And it's young people, like, I never understand this thing of you have to have a full license driver with you. Even if they bought anything after your 12 lessons, you can drive on your own without passengers for the purpose of getting to and from school or to and from college. There's no point in buying a car for an 18, 19 year old having it and you having to sit in it to take them to school or college after they have their 12 lessons done. Mm-hmm. Even if they bought in a system like that, that you have your 12 lessons done while you're waiting for your test, you can actually drive on your own, but you can't carry passengers. That's logical thinking because of what you just said at the end there. That little caveat at the end. You can drive on your own, but you cannot carry a passenger. Yeah, and I think it would solve a problem for a lot of people living in rural areas that don't have the luxury of... Like, I'm living in the country, so it would mean I'd have to take my... Let him drive the car to work, um, come home, go back down and collect him, let him drive the car home. You're paying tax and insurance for all these luxuries, and they can't use the car, even if they have their 12 lessons done while they're waiting on a test. Yeah, now, just just to be the devil's advocate for for you, Annette, on the the 13th driving lesson and the driving instructor giving your test, of course, that is wide open to abuse. It's wide open to bribery. It's wide open to all sorts of things. Uh, I'm not saying anything about the character of the driving instructors, uh, but there is a need for... At the end of the day, the driving instructor probably knows you better than any tester. You're driving... You've spent 12, maybe 20 hours with that driving instructor. Whereas the day of your lesson, if you're agreeing with an instructor, so who's to say he won't accept a bribe either? I know. And I'm not for a moment making any inference towards the character of the driving instructors. But I'm just saying that that's sort of a system. Uh, You know, while be it would, to me, it would be much more preferable than a general amnesty on the grounds of future safety on the road. Uh, You know, because there is a certain responsibility on the driving instructors to get people ready uh, at the 12 lessons. And you know, I, I'd say it's a kind of a thankless job being a driving instructor because not, not everyone you instruct um, passes. A, a lot of them fail. And, and a lot of them you would consider to be um, test ready. But an unfortunate incident might happen on, on, the, uh, on the test. Uh, you know, a car, a car might be coming too fast around a roundabout. You might hesitate. Uh, you might stall. That kind of thing. But I think that can happen any driver, even myself. I mean, I'm driving probably 20, 30 years at this stage. And I would still say there are occasions on the road where I couldn't cast myself as being the best driver. I think there's another thing, you know, like say when we passed our tests, we didn't have all these roundabouts. We didn't have all these, you know, intersections, uh, motorways, etc. So maybe sometimes it's the older drivers are probably more problematic on the road than the new drivers because they've learned how to drive on roundabouts, they've learned how to drive on, you know, built up areas. Whereas we didn't have any of that when we were driving. Mm-hmm. How long are you driving, Annette? Oh, probably 30 years at this stage, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I, look, you know, I, I think your, your idea has nobility. It's, it's very well thought out. The 13th driving lesson 
could be your actual test. It would be much preferable to me anyway to a general amnesty. But I think that's what's... There's going to be a tsunami of demand for these services and they can't... But there's going to be a tsunami of demand for these services and they can't cope now when there's very little demand. But this is it. There's so many young people out there, you know, and they're 19, 21, 22. Like in our day, we didn't have cars, but all 19, 20, 21-year-olds seem to have cars nowadays. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, and I think that they do, they're going to have to change the system and come up with something more uh, forgiving, I suppose, or more usable for the actual young, young drivers that are trying to get on the road. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the customer engagement, the user experience here is it's, it's practically nil. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any care in the system. Would that be fair? Um, I just think that maybe they need to do a bit of customer service training with their staff, number one, or teach them to answer a phone, number two. You could be ringing that department and you could be hanging on the phone for an hour. You know, what? you'd have your floors washed, you'd have your dinner cooked by, with the phone still sitting there in the side hoping that somebody may eventually answer you. Yeah, but uh, maybe that brings another problem to the fore in, in that departments like this are now probably deviating their services over for cost-cutting measures uh, over to call centres. Yeah, uh, where, you know, communication is... A lot of people work in call centres. It can't be the most pleasant environment in the world to be in. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's some of that frustration is coming through. But also, at, at the very end of the day, there's very little accountability when everything is going through a call centre. Yeah, because you're only a number, I suppose. I don't know. You know, I think um, bring back the days of good customer service, bring back the days of um, speaking to somebody on the phone instead of to an answering machine. Mm-hmm. I think... I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned in my way of thinking. Eamon Ryan was, uh, uh, did a vox pop going into a cabinet this morning where he said the idea of the cutting the PIP is to get 20,000 people more back to work or whatever. We want 200,000 people back to work. And that's a great noble notion. Uh, but when you have people who can't get a job because they can't um, navigate your own Department of Transport system, fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something has to be done because, I mean, like particularly for young drivers trying to get on the road and for the most part, now I know you'll always get the so-called joyriders and whatever, but for the most part, I think the young drivers today are pretty, pretty okay. They seem to know the road. They know what they want to do and they're pretty level-headed for the most part. You'll always get in any generation, you'll always get the few that won't do what's supposed to be done. But There's always going to be a bad apple. There's always going to be a messer. Yeah. But I, I think you're right. For the most part... Uh, young people today who are driving at 18 and 19 or whatever uh, value one thing above everything else, their ability to drive because of they have they, they have a driving license. They may alter or modify their car. That's a hobby. Um, but, I, you know, drink driving, I think, is practically non-existent in that cohort because they value the license so much. They really do respect the license on the road. And I mean, I have a lot of young, my sons, you know, they, a lot of them driving, a lot of them have their full licenses. But I must say... They are just so respectful of their cars. If they're going out, they'll get somebody to drop them or somebody to collect them or they'll leave their cars at the house they've been drinking in or whatever and they'll walk home. That's like the older generation probably, and I shouldn't be stereotyping, I suppose, but the older generation would probably still sit in their cars and drive after two or three pints. Yeah, well, we can't stereotype or generalize like yeah, that again. Well, we can generalize. Well, I know you can't, but I'm just saying, in general, I think young people are pretty... Um, you know, they're pretty confident and they are pretty sensible when it comes around to driving. 
I think. Okay, and thanks for that. But your idea is a good um, one. The thirteenth driving lesson uh, should be or could be your test. test. If if the system, yeah. which is already creaking on the, under the weight of light uh, application, uh, it's going to be deluged by the tsunami of demand when things open up. Absolutely, it will be. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for taking my call. That's great. Thanks, Annette. Okay, thank you. Thank you bye very bye. much. Bye thanks. Bye bye. bye. Uh, once again, uh, the plethora of uh, emails and texts uh, are still around COVID restrictions. Ah, uh, Mick, tell Tony to get a life. His one goal is to open up the airport. Did you see the crowd on Kennedy Key alone? 20 pubs would not be enough to take that crowd. What is it with some people? We're nearly at the tail end of this and they're willing to jeopardise everything. If we go into a fourth lockdown, it'll be this uh, these people's fault. Hi Mick, we are 63 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. And people are actually saying that others should wait another couple of weeks before congregating and socialising. It'd be funny if it wasn't so ridiculous. When Irish media constantly bombard the Irish public with COVID horror stories from far afield, why do they never mention Texas and other jurisdictions which have abandoned all COVID restrictions and have seen no ill effects? Uh, so there's a note on this text as well, which, uh, which is kind of an addendum to that text. And it says this, across Texas, 384 more coronavirus cases were reported Sunday, including 308 new cases, 76 older ones that were recently reported by labs. The state also reported 20 new COVID-19 deaths, bringing its death toll to 50,423. More than 12.7 million in the state have received at least one dose of vaccine. So that kind of goes against what our texture was saying. There is incidents, there is deaths, and there is a, a very, very high rate of uh, of finding new cases, 308 uh, in a day in the state of Texas. We got one on landlords, which we covered uh, extensively yesterday. A lot of rental property owners are not registering with the PRTB due to the tax on landlords being the same across the board. My brother and his family had to move because of work, starting a new job. He's renting a house costing 1450 a month. His house is in negative equity, so he can't sell it. And the rent he's getting is 1000 which is being taxed nearly 50% on to cover a mortgage of 1000 uh, Sorry, 1100 This is totally unfair and is not the same as a landlord with no mortgage and with 10 tenants in the house making a fortune and should not be treated the same. He's at breaking point financially and had to get a loan out last month to pay his rent. You have to pay tax on rental income, says another texter. Obviously, the landlords who are not registering are not paying uh, the tax. It's 24 and a half minutes past 11 now. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And a very good morning to you at 26 and a half minutes past 11. David is on line one. Good morning, David. Yeah. Hi, David. Hi, how are you, David? Now, the last four years in a row in Donorail, uh, the swan cygnets apparently have been killed by mink within the first two weeks of hatching. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, basically I, I moved to Donorail myself uh, four and a half years ago. I suppose I would be considered a blow-in to the, to the locals. Um, but in the last four years... Um, I'm such a lover of animals and, you know, every year you see there's two sets of um, um, resident um, swans in the park and um, every year it seems to be the same situation happening. Um, you see them nesting, they build their nest, um, they, 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 you know, incubate the eggs as they're, as they're doing and then they hatch. And within the first two weeks of um, the cygnets that you see, they're gone. And um, the same thing happened just a couple of weeks ago. They, they, they laid six of them and they were swimming around. And overnight, there was pretty much in 24 hours, uh, five of them were gone. Um, what I've 
learned over the years from the locals and stuff like that is apparently, I don't know how many years, but a few years back, um, animal activists, um, they um, saved, rescued um, many mink from a mink farm and brought them to Donnerail Park and released them. And um, they're not native to the park. And what basically happens was then the mink have mass produced. They don't have any natural predators and they're basically killing an abundance of wildlife in the park. Nothing seems to be thriving and surviving because of the mink. Okay. So that was a kind of a wrong move on behalf of those activists, was it? Absolutely. I suppose they had, you know, they had really good intentions and stuff like that. And they thought, listen, let's release them into the park. But like I said, the, the mink just obviously, they they multiplied and quadrupled and what have you. And um, like I said, they have no natural predators. So there's nothing balancing it out. And, you know, something that I'm very, you know, I'm an animal lover. I, I don't really condone the, the, the culling of any animals. But when, you know, humans have brought the mink into the, the park, that isn't their, like I said, their natural habitat. We have caused this, and it's it's just you know the communities. Donnerail is a very small village, and you know the, everyone is aware of what's happening now every year. And it's so it's almost getting to the point now where you don't want to see the cygnets being born because you you feel like that they have an expiration date, and it's always the two weeks seems to be the deadline of of them then just vanishing. And um, there's one left at the moment, one little one, and um, you know it's odds are against him, him or her, but you know everyone is praying that even just one survives. But in the four and a half years they've lived here, none of them have survived. Wow. None of them. That's very stark, isn't it? It's really awful. Like when I moved down here first, um, I remember seeing uh, like a huge amount of squirrels even because the, the park is five minutes from my front door and I'm down there all the time. I would see squirrels all the time. I can't remember the last time I saw a squirrel in Donnerail Park. The swans, the cygnets are not surviving. Um, very little of the ducklings are, are surviving. There's a few. They seem to be a bit more luckier than, than the swans. And um, yeah, just just like you, you don't see what you're supposed to see in a big, beautiful national park like like Donnerail, and it's just it's it's heartbreaking to see when swans lose their signets. You can see the hurt in them. You see they don't even put their necks up anymore. They're they're going around the water, and you can see the the the, the, the darkness in their eyes. You know, it's very sad, very hard to watch, and the community is just really upset by this. And I, I've tried last year. I've tried this year. I've been making an abundance of calls, trying to get through to as many people as possible. I'm told that there isn't any kind of um, um, predator control in our area. Um, and, you know, the wildlife conservationists that have gotten on to, they're kind of, I'm being told, contact another person, another person, another person. So no one's helping, no one's offering anything. I don't know what to do. It's kind of like, it's just, it's just very hard to take. It's okay. very difficult to see. Stay yeah. with me Stay with me a moment, David. We have Vincent Cashman yep. from CSPCA on the line and if uh, even if yep. he can't help, I'm sure he'd be able to offer some advice. Hi, Vincent. Absolutely. Morning, Mick. How are you keeping? I'm good. Now, this has been happening for years as well in Killarney, I believe, is it? Yeah, I mean, mink were brought in um, as a farmed animal for fur. Okay, and for fur coats. Fur coats. Sorry? For fur coats. Exactly. Which is an abominable right. practice anyway. Yes, but <clears throat> it's they, they, they're brought in for farming. The mink that were brought into Ireland for farming are American mink. They're more or less a jet black animal with a white chin. Okay. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, they were uh, there was escapees, and we'll say animal animal. I suppose activists started releasing these animals as well. Um, the evidence out there that mink cause ferocious damage in um, in Ireland, 
is well, very, very well documented. So for anybody to release mink into an area, especially American mink, into an area shows how uneducated they actually were. Okay. It's done right. now, so we can put the clock back. It's, just, it's done, right? No, the problem with it is, and this is a very, very grey area, and I'm glad that you're keeping the show going until four o'clock today. Basically, anything like this needs to be controlled. Okay? And you can control it with legislation. You can control it with paperwork. These animals have to be um, trapped and culled. And that is a very difficult thing for somebody who's involved in animal welfare to say, and there will be people looking for my head in a noose. But these are classed as an invasive species. They um, were introduced deliberately or accidentally, and they've caused nothing but problems in Ireland. Nothing but problems. They bring nothing to the table. They bring nothing basically as, um, I suppose, an extra element to wildlife in Ireland. They will decimate swans, kingfishers, dippers, coots, moorhens, anything that that these guys can do, they will do. They are ferociously brave. Okay. And the, the unfortunate thing is, sometimes to help wildlife, to restore balance, there has to be a trapping program put in place. Okay, so this is Vincent Cashman of the CSPCA saying that this is the lesser of two evils here. We have to capture these little feckers. They, yeah. have, they have to be culled. Yes. Okay. What sort of there is, there what, what no, sort of uh, labour commitment or cost would be involved in that? Are they would they be easy to capture? Um, basically, you can live trap them. I mean, there there are loads of people out there that are trapping mink all over the country at the moment. Loads of people because they, um, as I said, they decimate wild bird numbers. Um, they decimate uh, pheasant hens. Your your hens at home can be killed by them. Um, and you know that they're, they're, they're a very, very determined predator. As David said, we don't have any natural predator for them um, because our ecosystem isn't designed for them. And um, they wreak havoc. So the only way to do it is traps are in and around 30, 40 euros-ish. And the animals then can be, can, the traps can be based. No, there are, there are various other methods. Um, yeah, I'm just going to say, is, is, is there poisoning or is that deemed to be inhumane? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend anybody poison anything. Because if it's not, if poisons are not used properly, as was the case down in West Cork um, last year, you could have had 20, 30 buzzards and it's, it's, it's the indiscriminate use of poison. Okay. I wouldn't recommend using poison by anybody. Okay. But if the animal is trapped and use a live trap, so if it, if it does catch a non-target species, you can release it. Okay, so that's a uh, live trap is something with a door that just pops down, is it? Basically, there's a, there's a uh, treadle in the middle of it. You bait it with food, uh, press it on the treadle, like the old-fashioned traps and door closed behind them. Okay. How many mink uh, do you reckon are in Donnerail and how many do you reckon are in Killarney? It, it, wouldn't take, it wouldn't take many to do the damage they're doing. And especially yeah. signets are very, very vulnerable. I mean, I, 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 I'll, be, I'll be honest with you now, Mick, I wouldn't have an idea of the census of numbers. Okay. But I know there are several, several thousand of them in Ireland. And do we need a national program then for for, for their elimination? They're alien to our ecosystem and they're doing for their presence an inordinate amount of damage to that ecosystem across the board. Technically speaking, if you're to ask my advice, yes is the answer. 
Okay, we have a lot of invasives on our list between plants, animals, and other vert- invertebrates that yeah. are. So these, these are like the Japanese knotweed of the of, of the living species. Egg, egg basically, yes, right. So we just say for argument's sake, no um, yellow belly sliders or the turtle. Okay, um, it is actually you need a license more or less to transport them. Nobody can rehome them. It's illegal to rehome. It's illegal to buy and sell them. So to transport them from your front door to your front gate, you need a license to do it. Wow. Okay, that's how serious the invasive program is, is taken. In some countries, it is taken very, very seriously. In Ireland, unfortunately, over the last, I suppose, 10 years, you see, national parks do a tremendous job, a tremendous job, but they're under-resourced. So technically speaking, this work should fall to national parks, but they don't pay, basically have the, have the boots on the ground to get involved in a kind of a program like this. Mm-hmm. But it is it it is something that has to be looked at. I mean, the raccoon is classed as invasive. Your cotamundi is classed as invasive. Your muskrat is classed as invasive. Your koi poo that were in Cork a number of years ago, they're classed as invasive. Mm-hmm. And they'll do untold damage to to, to 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 banks and stuff like that. Other people will come along and say, "Oh, but they're there now. We have to deal with it." If that is the case, which it is then the only way to deal with it is to help reduce the damage that these animals do in the ecosystem. Okay. And what, what's the ultimate upshot, would you say, Vincent, of uh, not checking and eliminating this problem? Of not checking and doing nothing. If, if we leave it alone, what happens? Untold damage? If, if untold damage, yeah. You, eventually what will happen is the swans and Donrail, like even they may not even be the same pair. So you might yeah. get birds that get that get so distressed, or we'll say that cannot rear if they if they don't feel safe and mink won't make you feel safe. If they don't feel safe, the chances are they could move on. So you're going to have a or wildlife park bereft of wildlife. They will. T- they will. That's, t- what's, they will t- that's what's happening. That's what's happening in the park. Like I said, in the four and a half years that I've lived there, when I moved there first, there was I, I would have seen constant squirrels and stuff like that. Like I said, I don't see that now anymore because the majority of them are killed off. The, the ducks are, are are disappearing because maybe they're flying off to be more safe. And I believe there's only so much that these ones will take because it's it's, it's just a history repeating every year that they will fly off. They will go away. They they know that they can't survive there. They're not safe. And like you said, you know, mink are even known to kick to kill lambs. They're, they will tackle um, animals that are hugely bigger than themselves. And sometimes they just even kill for killing. And that's where we're at. If something doesn't happen, the park is going to be left without any wildlife. There's nothing going to, there's nothing thriving there anymore. It's very yeah, sad it, to it, see. It, and, and you, you would imagine it's an easy enough area to recruit into, uh, Vincent, because it's open air. Even with the current restrictions, uh, you know, if if the political will was there, if the financial will was there, um, you know, to remove this invasive creature from the ecosystem and let wildlife thrive again in Killarney and in Donorail. Uh, yeah. And you'd imagine that there'd be no shortage of volunteers, uh, maybe to even yeah, help. Probably there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a shortage of volunteers. But the unfortunate thing is, you will also get the people that will be will be um, singing the praises of mink, and the fact that they're there, that they have to be protected. Now, again, as I said, um, it's a difficult thing for CSPCA, an animal welfare organisation, to come out and say, but these guys are a pest. Again, I'm going to be criticised for that. 
Um, but there needs to be a coordinated plan. That And even if these traps are put out, uh, that the, the basically the traps can be left alone. That people educate themselves. It's not a case of, I always look at animal welfare as looking at a pie, Mick, right? Mm-hmm. There might be eight slices of the pie, but you can't just pick and choose. You have to t- look at the entire section there. And sometimes you have to. In this case, it, it needs the removal of the mink. Or there won't be a bird left. Yes. There won't be a bird left. There won't be a, any of the waterfowl. No. Um, mallard anyway can be kind of silly parents anyway, right? So they have a huge clutch of ducklings. They will lose a certain amount of predation anyway. The mink isn't helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if, you've, or if you have a duck sitting on eggs, um, she will be taken by a mink. She can be killed by a mink. Okay. So it, it, it is that, that invasives in Ireland needs to be taken it, and it is by there's a, it's huge quarters out there taking invasives very very seriously <clears throat> but it, it has to be taken seriously that anybody that's, that has any interest in this look at the research don't look at one side of it so is, 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 the, that's there. is the missing element then guys the, the education needed to bring everybody on side even the activists who will stand up for the mink yes even even the activists can see that these guys, in any form of, of of discussion, can see that these guys are doing damage. Like, you don't come along and release elephants into East Cork. Right? Yeah. Because elephants are going to cause damage. Anything that is either being released into our... There has to be an awful lot of work and discussion on what what is there, what should be there, or what we can return Okay, but mink, mink is certainly not one of them. We don't have the level of predation. We don't have the species for predation. The same with deer numbers. Deer numbers are increasing all over the country. We do not have a natural predator, and that doesn't mean that we come along now and decide we're going to release wolves in Ireland. That is, that's a non-runner. Okay. Uh, Well, David, I think you've done the wildlife ecosystem in Donnerail and Killarney a service anyway by. Uh, by first of all highlighting this and I think Vincent you've gone some way towards that education ideal that I, I think you've explained it very coherently that uh, these mink need to be removed or there won't be a bird left if it will say in, in America where they're dealing with uh, invasives as well we'd say even iguanas in Florida right um, they're going around again they have problems with kaipu kaipu were brought in as a, as a fur animal or as a pelt animal and any animals that escaped were able to use the, the water banks, so any drainage issues or any um, th- these guys were causing problems. So iguanas, so there, there's there's actually active active culls organised with the equivalent of national parks in America to remove these animals, and probably and that, on, under the supervision of park rangers. It would be under, but we don't have enough. We don't have half enough rangers around. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, uh, we'll leave it there. It's a, it's a very sad topic. Uh, Vincent Cashman, CSPCA, thanks for the bravery. Uh, you'll no probably get some stick for it, as, as you say. And David, thanks for raising the issue. No worries. Can I just finish off by saying, like, you know, like Vincent there, was saying there, and that there is going to be stick that's going to happen. And like I said, I feel like such a hypocrite being almost an animal activist myself. 
you know, bringing this topic up, it actually hurts me because I don't want any animals to be culled, like I said, but like it just needs to go in the favour. It needs to be balanced. It needs to be fair. You know, there has been, you know, there's been a Facebook page in Donneray where people have been kind of coming at, you know, comments towards me about the mink and leave them there and, you know, you can't kill one by saving the other. I just want to come across as all I'm trying to do is bring awareness here. I just want people to know that it just isn't unfair. It isn't our natural habitat. They were brought in by, by, by us people and, you know, something just does need to happen. I don't want them, you know, it, it would be great if they all got along and they weren't killing each other, but that's just not what's happening and it's just incredibly sad and unfair to be part of a small community like Donnerill, a beautiful place where this is happening um, every year and it just needs to stop. Okay. It just really needs to stop. Th- thanks, Maybe David. Just, just be, thanks for having just me. Before I get, I'm just going to get the fire extinguisher there to put out the crosses that are burning in our car park. <laughs> but before, before I go out there, if you're involved in animal welfare, you don't get to pick and choose the bits and pieces. So it's like somebody getting into nursing in the morning or somebody who wants to be a surgeon and says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to save every single person that comes under my knife. You can't. So if you're dealing with an ecosystem or if you're dealing with animal welfare, which our guys are doing on a daily basis, sometimes there's an animal you cannot save. And to be realistic, that all has to be part of it. You're getting into animal welfare in the morning and you say, I'm going to save every single animal and I'm going to put nothing down. Then it is not the job for you. Okay. For the greater good, the mink need to go. For ex- exactly. Well, there needs to be, they don't need to be eradicated, but there certainly needs to be in areas where the population has exploded or they're doing significant damage. There needs to be controls in it. Nobody's asking for their eradication. That's not going to happen. But there needs to be controls put in place. All right. Vincent Cashman, uh, Cork Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Very brave stance, uh, but it makes logical sense, I think. A very coherent argument. Thank you very much, Vincent. No problem at all. Thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye a couple bye-bye. of quick texts, uh, one on construction, one on busy shops. Uh, hi, Mick. I just wanted to say that the Irish will need to stop fooling around with the inaccuracies that construction companies are presenting to you about the value of your homes and those houses that are just being built. Houses in Ireland have been built, uh, been built very sloppily without any novelty. And this has been the same for 30 years. Very poor quality homes and the price is several times higher than in Europe. I've been building houses for 30 years in several European countries, but I have not seen such hopelessness as in Ireland. Uh, please don't use my name. I still work in construction in Cork and on busy shops. Hi, Mick. I was in Pennies on Friday for the first time in months. It was absolutely packed with people. There was no ventilation whatsoever and the heat was unreal. A recipe for the spread of the virus. I left after five minutes, said uh, Kieran. Retail is open uh, and a lot of personal responsibility needs to come into play here. The mask wearing still, of course, mandatory uh, inside these shops. But if you did feel uncomfortable and you left, then that's your choice. Well done. Thanks for the text, Kieran. Right, then we're back in a moment. It's coming up on 13 minutes to 12 midday. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. 11 minutes to 12 midday and down to the final business of the day. And Nikki is on line one. Good morning, Nikki. Hi, how are you? Good. Now, you're ringing because you uh, you need our help, really, and you're with a homeless person. You're working with yeah. the homeless outreach group called uh, Show Liquid You. Yeah, that's right. Um, basically, what it is is he's in um, hospital at the moment with stomach issues. And before he was even admitted to hospital, he... Um, wanted to go into rehab, he really, really wants to give up alcohol and he's now currently going into his 12th day of being sober. 
and he's doing really, really well. But our issue is when he gets discharged from hospital, um, we can't get him straight into rehab. Um, there's a process that he has to go through to get into it. We are in touch with the rehabilitation centre and they're working to try and get him in. But as I said, he won't go directly in there from the hospital. Um, so what we're hoping is that we could get him into a bed and breakfast or something, but out of the city, out of temptation. Um, and at the moment, we're kind of stuck. And yeah, because tw- 12 days sober, while a huge achievement, I'm sure, for him, is not really a long time. Oh, my God, it's amazing. He's so, and like, to talk to him, he is just a totally different person. He's so proud of himself. We're so proud of him, like, and he he's just doing absolutely amazing. And if he gets discharged from the hospital with nowhere to go, he is going to be back in a tent. And and the, and the ver- to, very strong likelihood is he will relapse back back into the drink. He will, he will, because there's nothing else for him. Do you know what I mean? Like for some people, sleeping in a tent is great fun. You know, it's a holiday, but that's his home. Yeah. And he, the only way for him to kind of be able to stay in the tent is to reach for alcohol. So you, you're you're looking for a kind-hearted B and B owner out of the city to take this person in. Do yeah. you expect that to happen for free, or is there a is there a method by well, which the B and B can be paid? Um, we're going to put up an appeal as well on our own um, group page for people who are not government funded. We rely on donations, so we're hoping that people will um, donate money for mm. us to put him in B and B. It's temporary till we can get him in. How, how long do you think it'll take? Hopefully, I'm hoping maybe two weeks max. Okay before he can get into the rehabilitation. Now, we are going to go to the APS and we're going to go into the City Hall because they do um, have emergency accommodation, but unfortunately, a lot of the emergency accommodation that the APS have would be where kind of um, all his friends and stuff would be staying, and that's putting alcohol in his path again. And do you feel he's determined this time to put it behind him? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. I'm actually currently with him. We just dropped him up clothes and stuff. And to see the difference in this person is just, I'm so, so proud of him. I really, really am. And even before he ended up in hospital, he was begging, absolutely Mm -hmm. begging for someone to help him. And we've built up a fabulous relationship. He trusts myself and one of the other girls, Tara, from the group. He trusts us so much. He's confided in us um, about past history of why he turned to alcohol. And he just, he doesn't want that life anymore. He really doesn't. He's a young guy. He wants to do so much better with his life. And we just really, really want to help him. And I'm just terrified that if he gets discharged from hospital, um, he is going to end up back in a tent. Okay. Well, congratulate him for us, from us, on on his first on his first 12 days of sobriety. Now, what's I the will. ideal situation here is we need a big-hearted B&B owner uh, who's prepared to take him in for for about two weeks. And we need a big-hearted checkbook owner who uh, is maybe yeah. prepared to back that and, and give this guy yeah. a chance to, 
to really get back on his feet. So um, can we give your number out? Is that okay? Yeah, that's no problem. If anybody that's needs no to help, you can get Nikki on 86 171 You'll get Nikki on 86 171 Nikki, stay in touch. Uh, maybe you, if, maybe yeah, if, you, if you only get a bridge of a, of a night or two somewhere, uh, we, we can help again tomorrow and put the appeal out there to, to extend the 12 days sobriety into a new and clean life for the guy. Yeah, brilliant, Mick. Okay. Thank you so Thanks. much. We really appreciate it. No problem, Nikki. Thanks a million. Talk to you soon. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Now, finishing on a lighter note, Lotto Fever has hit Cork and Paul O'Connell is the shop owner at O'Connell's food store in Myrtleville, beautiful Myrtleville. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Dream come true for somebody in a in a lovely beachside Myrtleville Beach uh, in in your shop. Two million four hundred and sixty nine thousand eight hundred and seventy one euro uh, is up for yeah, grabs. Nice. Well, really when I say when I say it's up for grabs, it hasn't been grabbed yet by the uh, by the lucky winner. No, it's unclaimed so far, and uh, we don't know who won it. But I'm sure some fellow sitting on a nice little earner. And you, of course, are hoping, as I heard you say on the news, that it's going to be one of the locals who frequents your shop all the time. Ah, uh, yeah, to, to be nice to keep it local. Um, you know, there's a bit of a buzz this morning because of it, so therefore it'd be nice to see it local, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I always wondered, do shop owners like you have the recourse to go back to, for instance, um, CCTV and say, that, that ticket was sold at 20 seconds past 21 minutes past 3. I'm going to see who it was. Yeah, we weren't told when it was sold, ah, at what time. Okay. So th- so therefore, we don't know which ticket was the, the winning ticket. Okay. And um, they can, you know, keep a guy sorted that way, like, you know? Okay. The other question that always comes up, and, and it's just me being nosy, really, is what's in it for you? You must get a nice touch <laughs> out of that, yeah? Yeah, you get 15000 but it's uh, an income, so you pay income tax. Okay. Uh, and can you use that maybe to the benefit of some of your staff take take them out on a champagne night or something? Absolutely, yeah. What would you yeah. do with the money yourself, Paul, if you want to? Oh, man, that'd be nice. Um, I'd be out of here. <laughs> <laughs> One way to take it to Barbados. Yeah, anyway, the the winner, if you're listening, you should contact the prize claims team on 1-800-666-222 1-800-666-222 or claims at lottery.ie claims at lottery.ie and arrangements will be made for them to claim their prize I hope the winner treats you and your staff to a night out as well that's two nights out you'll be able to have when, th- nice, yeah. when, when restrictions are lifted but well done uh, Paul O'Connell shop owner at O'Connell's food store in Myrtleville thanks a million thanks a lot all the best Bye-bye. Now, get calling for our uh, Musgrave Marketplace competition. Uh, we'll play it for you again one more time, just in case you need one more listen. There you go. Get dialing 1-850-104-106. Uh, hi, Mick. I'd like to share a story with you. I got my vaccine two weeks ago. I'm immunocompromised, and last Wednesday I got a severe reaction. I was shaking violently and feeling really cold, plus a splitting headache. That was my first shot of the vaccine, and I'm waiting on the second. I was also feeling really tired. I rang the clinic where I got my shot, and they told me that I was feeling uh, very normal and not to worry. Uh, I live with my girlfriend and mother-in-law. We're expecting a baby. My mother-in-law in a message told me not to come back home because she thought I had COVID. I told her it was simply a reaction to the vaccine, but she refuses to understand and also refuses to take the vaccine herself. I spent three days on my own in a room above my business, and at one stage I was so sick I feared for myself. But what made it worse is that none of the people that I believed to be my family were near me 
when I needed them the most. I do not want to go back home now. I do not want to see my family because of what they did to me. It's out of this world. I'm feeling better today, but still very shocked at how my family dealt with this. That's a very sad letter. Now then, we have uh, on line two, Patricia, who is in Ballyduff. Hi, Patricia. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. I'm going to play this for you again now because I'm running out of time very quickly. And what do you think they are? The Late Late Show, Fair City and Bosco. Let's see if that's true. You're spot on, and a €150 Euro voucher is yours for Sutton's Bar and Bistro at the lovely Rochestown Park Hotel, Patricia. Well done to you Brilliant. from ourselves you, and million, Musgrave Marketplace. Well done, and we'll be back thanks to that competition tomorrow. Thanks a million, and thanks to thanks. our producers on the Neil Prendeville Show, Imaro Hay-Martin, uh, Brenda Dennehy, Mark Willington, and Seamus Whelan. We're back tomorrow morning after News at 9. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.